Hey guys, I want to take a moment and ask you to support the Mises GOP caucus. Like I always say, if the politicians are for sale, then let's just make the purchase. At the GOP Mises caucus, we're raising money to lobby elected GOP state representatives and senators to help us pass legislation called the anti-tax. What is that? It's how we're going to incentivize the state to make taxation obsolete by creating tens of thousands of sovereign wealth funds in local municipalities around the country, which will create passive incomes for the state, which will gradually grow to take the place of classical direct taxation, and will re reward people for voting for smaller and smaller government. The beauty of this strategy is that it doesn't rely on winning majorities of votes. So it's automatically going to be better, cheaper, and faster than purely democratic strategies. With just a few hundred monthly donors, we can get this done and make taxation obsolete permanently. All donations are anonymous to the public since this is a super PAC. All, you know, please support us at MisesGOP.org forward slash donate and subscribe to donate a few dollars per month now. Again, that link is MisesGOP.org forward slash donate. Thanks. Let's get back into the show. All right. Welcome to Popular Liberty. It is May 20th in the year 2022 of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have we are bringing to you a the moral foundation for private statecraft tonight. This is the uh, uh, this is kind of going to be like the heart of my thesis of uh, my thesis for private statecraft at, from a moral standpoint, not simply a functional standpoint that the Alfton's, you know, make the case about, against libertarianism that it, you know as a as a purely legal theory <coughs> as a legal theory it's basically unassailable as a system of ethics and morality it's basically indefensible which is an odd uh kind of dichotomy but the you know whereas uh you know, I would say, hey, you know, as for a libertarian legal theory, that would be completely compatible with like everything I want to do and would almost necessarily result in what I want to do. <clears throat> Whereas the, uh, you know, the, I, but I feel like that's not far enough for a lot of people. If they want to have a good government, they actually want to know that it's a moral government and why. And that's, and I think you need to be able to make that foundation. You need to be able to make that argument. And I think chapter five of They Have Uncrowned Him by Marce Archbishop Marce Marcel Lefebvre makes that argument really, really well. This is a, a chapter about beneficial constraints. In other words, using law as a benefit to people that they have no real, that they have no real choice in one way or the other. And eventually we're going to get to that. I'm going to, I'm going to make that argument. And because uh, Curtis Yarvin tries to make it uh, as well in patchwork that eventually you do, you know, there's no, uh, you know, voluntary system that is, you know, completely voluntary. You know, it, there's, it just, it cannot be. And because eventually you get to people who cannot be physically removed because <laughs> nobody else was willing to take them. All the other, all, all other land is owned and, you know, like, okay, maybe you could remove them to the middle of a desert and they're going to die. You know, it's like, okay, so you've basically killed them. That's murder. And, you know, or like you maybe, you, you know, you give them a helicopter ride to the middle of the ocean, which is technically unknown territory. You know, it's like, are we really going to, yeah, it's like all of a sudden you get into real morally treacherous territory that uh, you can't possibly, 
uh, you can't really argue for morally. And so the, the uh, at, at, you know, you, there, when you uh, understand like this kind of morality, that law is meant as a benefit to people, it starts solving a whole lot of these of these moral conundrums that you could not possibly uh prove under a libertarian that you couldn't work with they would be infeasible under a libertarian framework you would have to say that the law is that the law is unjust and unjust laws definitionally really shouldn't be followed and there's no there's no uh moral injunction against you for you to follow those for for you to follow unjust laws so here's where i'm going to be making the foundation you know for what i see as private statecraft corporate statecraft and so we're going to start off at uh Chapter five of uh, beneficial constraints. Do not consider that you are constrained, but to what you are constrained, if it is to the good or to the evil. St. Augustine. Liberalism, as I have told you, makes liberty of action defined in the preceding chapter as exemption from all constraint, an absolute and end in itself. I will leave to Cardinal be uh, below the care of analyzing and refuting this fundamental pretension of of the liberals he writes <clears throat> the fundamental principle of liberalism is the freedom from all coercion whatever it may be not only from that which is carried out by violence and which aims at external acts but also from coercion which proceeds from the fear of laws and and penalties and from social dependencies and necessities in a word from the ties of every of every nature which prevents man from acting and according to his own inclination like wow that's a that is a mouthful right there and is great because uh, you know the way it concludes right there is that the uh you know the the end goal of liber of liberalism as we've really seen hardcore in leftism is has been to uh you know uh, has been uh, you know opposition to everything that makes us human basically when it when he says that you know in a word it's looking to to uh you know liberate man from the ties of every nature which prevent man from acting at a in according with with his natural inclination and it, the uh well but isn't that but no no it i'm sorry isn't because liberalism is more because it's more about the naturalist impulse of that and that's the idea of the freedom from coercion is that you're free to do everything and that the law is the imposition on it. So the liberal position, right? Or am I, did I misread? Well, I, no, it, it's actually going a little bit further than that. Cause this would uh, in, include like family ties and stuff like that as well. Right. It's not, it's not simply that, uh, it, and it's like also like reality. Yeah. So there's this <laughs> term, the natural inclination. And I, so I read that more as like the, like the, the more basic primal, like, you know, noble savage vision of man. Because, or did right? Uh, you know, I I kind of took that that as a, you know, more Rousseauian. Yeah. That uh, yeah, they were they were trying to uh, that he's that liberalism is effectively trying to argue for like Rousseau's ideas rather than something more like John Locke. Yeah. The the idea is that right. You know, Rousseau's, I, Rousseau's where we get the noble savage. Okay. Oh, okay. My bad. Because in, because in the idea is that under nature we are at our most free and 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 again it's this visage of like a primal of a like pre uh, pre modern society right of like tribal people across the world it's the idea that nature itself is the freeing force and that civilization is actually the imposition against man's natural inclination 
And that's and so as that relates to like the law and the idea of constraint is that and that's that's like the tension of this chapter is like, what is that perception of law? Is law the imposition or is law the creation of the good? And that so, yeah. Yeah. Is, is it a guideline to you know really help you towards your eternal end towards the actual good? Or is it a uh, or or is like the or is it like a hindrance to that? Mm -hmm. And the uh, he's going to make the, the argument a little further. For the liberals, this individual liberty is par excellence, the fundamental inviolable good to which everything should yield, except perhaps what is required for, you know, for the purely material order of the city. Liberty is the good to which all the rest is subordinated. It is the necessary foundation of all social construction. This is, you know, that, you know, as an ethical theory, this is completely indefensible, as we're going to see for several reasons. <clears throat> Be, like that, the first and foremost of which is, well, why did you pick that one as the <laughs> as your apex value? If this is the value that all others have to yield to, why'd you pick it? You know, like what you know that you know you that I mean, there's presuppositions in there that you have to prove. Like you have to you in, in order for for you to put this one at the top of the hierarchy, it has to have merited that somehow. And liberals never make that argument that, you know, because that, that's not really the argument they want to make. They're kind of lying about it. Well, and which, which is, which is, which is kind of where the next, which is, which is the actual argument that we're about to get into is, mm -hmm. is why it's actually not the argument that they're making to begin with. Yeah, exactly. You want to go ahead and read it? Yeah, sure. Uh, the principle of liberalism is absurd, right? That's where we were. Uh, yeah, uh, no, no, now Cardinal Below always yeah. says. Now Cardinal Below always says, this principle of liberalism is absurd against nature and visionary. There you have the critical analysis that he develops. You will permit me to outline it by commenting on it. The liberal principle is absurd. This principle is absurd. Insipid ab, ab, insipid ab absurdo. It begins in absurdity. By pretending that the principal good of man is the absence of every tie capable of hampering or restraining liberty. The principal good of man indeed should be considered as an end, that which is described, that, that which is desired in itself. Now, liberty, liberty of action is only a means, is only a faculty that can permit man to acquire a good. It is therefore completely relative to the use that one makes of it, good if it Wow, sorry. Good if it is his if for the good, bad if it is for the evil. It is therefore not an end in itself. It is certainly not the principal good of man. According to the liberals, constraint would always be an evil except to guarantee a certain public order. It is clear on the contrary that to take an example, prison is good for the evildoer, not only to guarantee public order, but for the punishment and amendment of the culprit. Likewise, the censorship of the press, which is practiced by the liberals against their enemies, according to the liberal adage, no liberty against the enemies of liberty, is in itself a good, not only to secure the public peace, but to defend society against the expansion of the venom of error, which corrupts minds. It must be affirmed, therefore, that constraint is, it's, is not an evil in itself, and even that it is, from the moral point of view, quid indifferentes in se, something indifferent in itself. Everything depends on the end to which it is employed. This is moreover the teaching of St. Augustine, doctor of the church, who writes to Vincent, You see now, I think, that we should not consider the fact that one is constrained 
but to what he is constrained, whether it is to the good or to the evil. It is not that anyone can become good despite his himself, but the fear of what he does not want to suffer puts an end to the obstinacy which was posing an obstacle, which was posing an obstacle and urges him on to the study on to the study of the truth that he did not know. It makes him reject the falsehood that he was upholding, seek the truth that he did not know, and reaches the point of wanting what he did not want. Let's go ahead and stop right there. The idea that uh that uh you know basically you want maximum freedom of action. It's like, well, what what about you know your those actions make it good? It's like you want freedom, you know, complete freedom of action because you own your own body. You uh like what why is that justified? Well, like, in what, the preceding chapter, mm-hmm. right, we we establish he does we do a little bit of philosophizing and we separate and we tease out different ideas of liberty and under and and he makes the case and makes the position that liberalism is fundamentally only can seize the liberty of of the physical right mm-hmm. the liberty of your body to be able to do and go wherever as the as the maximal good and it is from that that then liberty of the mind or you know can exist yeah to basically say so just to make sure that we're actually connecting the docs to the to the case that he's making here mm-hmm. where he's connecting the point that this physical liberty the insistence upon it is absurd for precisely the reason that if it's the greatest good why is its opposite not the greatest evil? Because constraint is clearly not an opposite evil, or is, is not really evil. Constraint is good mm-hmm. in many cases. So that's the, again, so. And yeah, exa- exactly. And you, and, but you can even uh, illustrate this several other ways, because what you'll often hear with like libertarians is that, you know, a lot of the, you know, social libertinism, like, oh yeah, you should be able to cheat on your wife, no problem. And that shouldn't be like against the law or anything like that. But it's really, really immoral if you do. It's like this is an obvious, you know, contradiction in terms. It's like you can't say that. You can't. You can't say that there's a right to immorality because that undermines the entire <laughs> your entire ethical framework. You know, if you're allowed to do evil things to pe- to people, uh, well, well, you know, why is that? Uh, you know, that then like you know, okay, like where does that end? It logically doesn't. And well, so, and I think there's you, a. Sorry, but but like there's also a point you can make too, which is like, a yeah, you're focusing on the libertine at like sec- section of the libertarianism mm-hmm. thing of, of the libertarianism world, but in it, but that in of itself is also like a really modern interpretation because what people are really saying is that the crime of a the crime for adultery shouldn't be throwing somebody in jail, mm-hmm. right? Not that it's a bad action, but we shouldn't be throwing somebody in jail, and like, which is to say that like the modern which is to say like that the prison, you know, they have, they have like modern penitentiary, which is incidentally enough, I believe uh, a contribution of Foucault. Ironically enough, it was something that he yeah. might have gotten right. But yeah. just like the modern conception of prison and what it is, it like has problematic aspects to it. Of course. Yeah. And uh, gosh, I can't, I but can't they stand would, that but, I just said that word. But, but like you would have to then argue that there was a right to do that. And that you know, the, the problem and that has problems immediately that now you have you know, a right to evil. And right, it's, like, wait, it's a confusion uh, of a confusion. Exactly. Well, because, it, 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 because you still say it's wrong because the person who says that that's not a right, that that's a right action. That's a different person than the libertarian who says that this is, you know, that that's a wrong action. But I don't want I don't think that the punishment should be. Jail. Of course. And that's why I say as a legal theory, 
it's defensible as a moral theory it's completely untenable and right. and even right there to say that oh yeah you should totally have a right to like you know divorce your wife your wife for any reason or to cheat on her or something like that uh you know that would assume that there is another good you know for and that you would have to then justify that good and you're, and you're saying okay well if this is another good where how does that fit in because you can't say that this is good but i'm going to completely exclude it from my ethical framework and the, like you can't say that at all, it, you know, it, you because then you're like, OK, well, because ignoring the good, ignoring other goods, you know, is not is never OK. It's not OK that that, you know, a failure to do good is it's itself evil. It's law. Right. And, and the idea here is that if you put this liberty, this physical liberty at the top of your hierarchy of goals and aspirations for 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 politics, for, you know, the for society at large. You, you see these problems because because inherent in that you eventually get to the point of liberty from traditional bonds of, you know, like duties to different to your community, to your family, to your spouse, to your children, to your parents and so on. And worse is that this thing, you know, by doing it this way, by equivocate, you, you are necessarily equivocating between good and evil. And you were saying these things are equally valuable. And I say and, you know. And so when you're saying that these things are equally valuable, that is simply not true that a, you know, that cheating on your wife is more, is just as morally valuable as being faithful to her mm. or that, you know, abandoning your kid is, uh, you know, as, as morally equivalent as, you know, being a really good father to them. And these are not moral equivalencies and they they have real hardcore consequences in reality. And that, as a private state, you are going to be heavily incentivized to, uh, you know, crack down on, and you need a moral reason to do that. This goes beyond private property, because if you simply make private property your uh, your, your basis for the law, then anything that uh, that hinders you, you know, what you know, based on property, would then not be okay. You know, that would be a law that you would not have to follow, and. Because any, because uh, an unjust law is a law that doesn't need to be followed. So, you, so when you're saying that, uh, oh yeah, I'm just going to make rules on my property, but well, no, you can't do that because you know if you make an unjust rule, people don't have to follow it, and so you really did. So you, or at least they have no moral reason to follow it. You might have a force, you know, a you know, a functional reason, like I'm going to like shoot you with a gun or something like that if you, you know, do something wrong on, on my property, but. You know, there there is no moral reason for them to follow your laws if they're unjust laws. So if like I if I decide to like just outright forbid, you know, in all circumstances, divorce on my property, even under a Christian view, that would be wrong because if you if there's infidelity, you know, they would have a real right to to that divorce. And by me not me as a state not recognizing that you know, I would actually be doing some real harm to them and they would not have to follow that law morally. Now they might still have to do it functionally because, you know, I'm the state and I'm going to, you know, give them consequences, but that, you know, but that would not be moral for me to do that. And people really do care that you have a moral government. It makes a, a, a huge difference to them. And to me as a state, it's like, if, you know, if morality does have a real existence, if it does have a real effect on, on the rest of reality, I'm go I should see that in my bottom line that if I'm raising a much more moral pe moral uh, people, you know, if my constituents are much more moral people, 
you know, I shouldn't have to police them as much. My security budget might be lower. I might make more profit that way. You know, they're going to be making more kids. You know, that's uh, more workers, more producers, more uh, more customers. <laughs> but, you know, that's I mean, that's at every point. That's great. And if there's fewer, well, that means higher, you know, fewer workers means higher wages means like that means that my profits get lower and there's fewer customers for me to sell my services to. So I don't, I don't maximize. So, you know, if I'm presuming that these things are of equal value, I would actually be wrong. <laughs> it's like, you know, and I would actually not be maximizing profit as uh, so that would, because uh, if you say that, uh, you know, say, Hey, there's divorce, which has a, uh, a moral value, but that has no possible. Uh, if I'm if I'm going to make like the uh, you know the argument that Ace always has to make that morality actually has no causal existence, then I shouldn't see that you know an immoral act having Wait, any. Yeah, he does. That's crazy. Uh, but uh, you know, I then you know an immoral act should should functionally produce about the same amount of economic value. It should have no, there should be no correlation at all between a moral act and an economic act. So that like, you know, if I'm killing my workers, I should that, you know, that, you know, clearly has an effect on their economic output. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? And so that, that and that, you know, that would be like murder. I would have no, you know, if, if they were being productive, good citizens and all that, and I just kill them for no particular reason, that's going to that that has a real economic impact on my bottom line. And so the fact that I do see, you know, and if I'm, you know, really trying hard to raise like good, solid families that, you know, are, you know, keeping the birth rate nice and high. And, you know, I should see that in profits on the other side, if morality has a real causal existence, and it does. And this is, in fact, what, what we do observe, that, you know, moral societies, theoretically would be the highest uh you know that mor morally virtuous societies particularly in the catholic sense would be the highest of uh of uh, uh, in terms of profitability merely because hey lower costs mean you know lower security i don't have to manage them quite as much higher productive more workers more you know more customers etc cetera, etc cetera. and this you know this is necessarily going to be maximizing value and I think from this weekend that you know, you know deduce pretty clearly there is a a real moral uh, a real existence to morality that libertarians are in fact denying or at least presupposing doesn't exist because again they have a not you know their liberalism and libertarianism both presume nominalism and naturalism both of which are a rejection of you know Platonic realism you know the idea that virtual objects have a real causal existence. And which, by the way, is also kind of ironic because, they, you know, they say like, OK, something like your reputation only exists in like people's heads, you know, so there's no and you don't have a right to that. That's in their head. Well, OK, your soul, you know, yourself only exists in your head. And yet you've made this the basis of your property rights. <laughs> so and you're, which is something you're saying doesn't really exist because it only exists in your head. Why do you have a right? Why does it have any rights at all? If you're saying it doesn't actually it, the, if the self is the owner, which your self-ownership is, you know, which your, your whole ethical theory is, is uh, you know, predicated on. If you're saying the self in self-ownership doesn't exist, how can ownership exist? <laughs> well, but the self-ownership concept is in itself, again, this is, this is the mistake that a lot of people have made for reasons we can get into. One of those being the natural inclination of man. 
uh to you know worship or what i as i would put it like have you have to have your faith in something that you have to hold things as axiomatically true in order to in order to process within the world right so even the concept of self-ownership that comes because of that like there is um there's there is always this tension between like the 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 world of the moral and the world of the legal it has always kind of existed throughout humanity i i can i would like i like to talk i was recently thinking about it in terms of overcoming subjectivity right so an approach to objectivity and really and so justice is is recursive in a sense because it's always referring back to somebody else's interpretation or you know a different interpretation of something that happened before so it's also something that it's also something that builds on itself as well where it comes sorry i just got lost on that on that thing oh overcoming the subjectivity because the legalism in and of itself is very normative it act legals the laws are how we know how to act more most easily right they're like the massive they're like if you think about they're it in norms. terms of like a population at scale they're like the baseline of the heuristics and without which you wouldn't be able to function and operate and this is why we see going back in as far back in ancient uh in human civilization as we can as we have that there are certain things that have always been considered illegal and uh, and and because they were immoral mm -hmm. theft is one of the highest areas among that so so the mistake then again to reiterate here is not is not the legal framework per se because yep. we're actually talking very much in that legal framework at everything at everything um at, at all levels moreover this is a function of some of the political rhetoric that's occurring at the same time which you know whatever that's political warfare that's flack on the battlefield but wipe away the screen and pay attention to the actual argument that's being made because it's very easy to get lost in the weeds with with a top with a topic that we're broaching as complicated as this because i'm you know, yeah i'm, I'm well, exactly. coming in and yeah. out of it myself i mean there's a lot of good arguments you can make for you know the for the law having you know allowances for libertinism and they're out of prudence and thomas aquinas makes those same exact arguments that right. you know hey that that it's not that you have a right to like be a, like a you know, like consume drugs and narcotics and stuff it's that enforcement against you know any sort of prohibition against those you know would be you know it would cause worse uh, you know, would cause even worse sins to come about like all of the bad effects of prohibition like murder and crime and shit like that mm -hmm. and you're empowering like really bad lawless people and making them rich and so the uh <clears throat> You know, so like you could make that a really good, a really good case, you know, for kind of for the law allowing some sort of libertinism and yeah, that that, uh, you know, from libertarianism, I mean, that which is, you know, kind of a staple libertarianism. And you're not saying that they're equal, but you're saying this is still going to be the law and not but not because you have a right to it, uh, but because it's simply imprudent to enforce this because it will probably make things worse, not better. And that's a that's actually a very strong argument that's very well founded not in and uh, and Aquinas. So the uh, well, you know it's funny it just just as a pause and I think again in terms of the development of culture and how things kind of got to where they are currently and like the the frame of mind that people find themselves in because when I think even between you and I and people maybe ten years younger than us who are now finding the ideas because we see these generational breakdowns they're real right. They kind yeah. of exist. And so like for me, the like the the question of like political philosophy or your politics was, well, this is like in terms of politics. This is in terms of what's going to work in the in the system we have right now to the best of our ability. And when you look around, generally speaking, free markets, 
low taxes, low spending, blah, blah, blah. Those are all pretty good positions, right? If you look at the world, you know, from 10, 20 years ago, those are all really good positions. We've, nobody's paid attention to those good positions and it's gotten us into a much worse situation. Not only, not well, culturally, frankly, like down to the root, down to the core of the society as, as it is. So, you know, it's, it's also looking for some stability as well. And the, uh, the, the other thing that, you know, I, I kind of like here is that, that he talks about, uh, it is clear, you know, that except to guarantee public order, that seems to be the only exception to, uh, you know, to, uh, Liberty being the top thing. So, okay. So public order is actually, that means that one's actually the highest, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's actually, I circled except, yeah. right. Because it's always except. Which mm -hmm. is, again, his point of saying, if liberty is your maximum good, you're saying this is the best thing. This is the most moral thing. Mm -hmm. Why is its opposite not the most immoral thing? Exactly. And, and you will and actually mistake. And sorry, right. but and the mistake of some of the and the mistake of some of the arguments that happen within this, you know, subculture that we find ourselves within are because people take that secondary leap. And they go and they say, like, oh, no, 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 like all of it, all of it, all of it is all of it has to be the is is for the good. Right. Any yeah. constraint is is a, is the problem. And it's like, no, that's not true. Right. Like some constraint is good. Const you know, doing not doing exactly what you want to do at any particular point in time is how you uh, in invariably get ahead. It is the ants and the grasshopper. Right. It's a t it's these are these are like ancient human stories. Right. Let's go Jordan Peterson with it. But like the ant and the grasshopper, you got to put in the work to make sure you can get you can survive the winter. So. And the uh, the point the point I was going to make is that you know what what you're really assuming here is that you know I, I, well actually like you will see liberals you know make that argument actually that uh, actually whenever it does come you know because a lot of them have realized that that's a real inconsistency that you know oh public order actually is a higher a you know, higher moral value right there and that when you call them on that a lot of times they'll just double down and they'll say that, yeah, if my moral system burns civilization to the ground, that's totally fine with me. You know, I would rather, you know, you know, have the, uh, the consequences of Liberty, you know, versus the, uh, you know, the problems of tyranny or something like that. I, I don't know. This the well, problem. I think, that, I think also specific to the American context that yeah. gets lost because it's a tough thing to grasp is also just how splayed out we are as a people, like geographically speaking, the violence and the disruption in America has been so localized that, Oh yeah. It, that that the people that the that there are millions, tens of millions of people, in fact, who will never have to see any sort of real consequence to yeah. the words and that they type, to the rhetoric that they engage in, like, to the yeah. policy, the people and the policies that they support. That's actually a really good point. That like you know, it's like they say this that oh yeah, I want like you know, no cops around anywhere, but you're not going to walk down the street at night, uh, you know, in in particular neighborhoods. For exactly that reason, that there are also not in those around. neighborhoods is the yeah. point. Is mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it, like okay, every, I I I I live in the general Chicago area, right? Yep. I don't live anywhere. I I don't live that close to where there are bad things happening, right? And I yeah. certainly didn't grow up in an area like that. But everybody's perception whenever I travel to different cities is, oh my gosh, where you live must be so unsafe. It's like, you know, no, no, it's not a big exactly. City. Violence is highly localized. Thomas Sowell. Yep discriminations and disparities it's one of his most recent books and it's probably some of his most important mm -hmm. uh specialized work because it helps again sift the massive 
amounts of information. Sorry, this is just my talking oh, go point. Go ahead. Yeah. But it's but the massive amount of information that we're trying to sift through in a day-to-day basis and how we then process that into something. And so what something like this, this book allows for us to do is conceive of a way in which we can orient at that fundamental level. And what and what I, I do like because you see that both behaviors here, like one is that behavior of the kind of like conservatives and normie, like normie conservatives and normie liberals, where they will yield to public order and kind of reveal that, oh, that one actually is the highest value. And yeah, and then it really does beg the question, well, well what does order consist of and what is maximizing that consist of? And this is like, okay, well, now you just got right back to Thomism where, you know, the the axiology of how they determine value is based off the characteristics of God's love and which is, you know, Roman Catholicism. <laughs> and that, uh, and so, you know, you, you actually do see them kind of presume that, but then effectively deny it. As I said, they're, they're saying, okay, this one actually is the highest value, but we're not going to maximize it. We're going to maximize this one, which is that, you know, which we have actually kind of just revealed that we presume to be a secondary, uh, you know, value that is a lesser value and we're not going to be maximizing the maximum value. And so the, uh, and it's only the, the real hardcore radicals, you know, again, like the liberals who, who push this thing to the absurd, that the, the, the principle of liberty in itself is absurd and leads to absurdity. You know, this is how you get like the aces and the leftists, you know, who will say, yeah, if my principles burn civilization to the ground, if socialism causes, you know, death and destruction, that's fine. I think that's more, I think it's, I'd rather be moral and be poor than be, you know, than be rich, than be, have a better standard of living and be uh, rich or, and be immoral, I should say. And, you know, it's that, you know, it's that these particular liberals, they are radicals. And they will say, you know, double. Down. I mean, their actions will betray them because, again, they're always liars and hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, uh, you know, but it it's really interesting to note that you actually do get both both kinds, you know, not just the one. Well, I think there's a little bit of, I don't know. This is this is where you know, like, there's the term illiberalism, and you can apply that to a progressive worldview. And so, this is the part I struggle with. This is the part I struggle with in terms of classifying the like what the like the actual problem is. Um, and, you know, and it could be because I'm wrong and that's totally fine. But I've always there's in, in some respects, it's a distinction without a difference because it's progressivism wearing the skin of liberalism that it's ultimately yeah. shed. And progressivism is a stand in for socialism. But socialism is still a consequence of the broader term of liberalism. So again, I understand like that it's yeah, it, it might be a distinction without a difference, but it is. Well, worth... I, I think it's a, it's it's a distinction with a difference in time. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is why I say that the American Revolution is the French Revolution driving the speed limit, and sure. you know it just took us two hundred and thirty years to get to the madness of the French Revolution, which is kind of where we are right now, and. Yeah, you know, like our left, it took them a lot, a lot longer to get to the woohoo stage that the right. French Revolution was right, at. Right, which is kind of ago. my yeah, which was which is just kind. Of, I'm putting it within and, that historical frame, I guess, is, is yeah. more what I was it's, trying it, to do. Basically, there, it's it, it the difference really is just time. It's mm-hmm. a difference of of how long does it take to decay into this final state. Because the final state is death. Well, and the reason, and so in part of this is because of the the part here where it says like no liberty against the enemies mm-hmm. of liberty. 
right? Whereas clearly we know that we, we know that the progressive worldview is one that's against liberty. And the point mm-hmm. is that there was there was where was that yeah. loss of that guarding the edge point? Well, that comes from, again, that leftist impulse that's based in the absurdity, which is to say that everything must be removed from all constraint, no matter, uh, you know, full stop. Mm hmm. And this is also like, you know, when you see like the, the like the, uh, the which the we would call leftism, sorry, closing. The yeah. Line. Like the, the ministry of truth and the disinformation board, uh, like a lot of times what you'll be seeing today is that amongst like the more red pilled right is that they'll say, actually, I'm kind of fine with it. I just want to be in charge of it. <laughs> and I don't, you know, and, uh, but since there's no real reasonable expectation for me to be in charge of such a thing, it's like, I, I'd prefer this thing not to exist. Correct. And, well, and a couple steps back, another metaphor I've used, a little more normie talk, is that the American right has thought that the, um, not normie talk, I think this is yeah. useful rhetoric. I don't know why I'm downplaying myself. The, mm-hmm. the, the American right has basically thought since the foundation of the country that the Constitution were the, were the, was the fence guarding basically the society, right? That ultimately the Constitution is the thing that's going to guard it. And what everybody's realized over the last call it eight years but really three is that mm-hmm. that's a lie and yeah. the and so and so that's where that impulse has come to come from of saying like okay well i'll be in charge of it right and so it's like it kind of starts for me it kind of starts at this point it's like okay it's political you're saying it's all political okay it's political things change when you make that decision, right? Your entire outlook changes when you make that decision. And basically Mm -hmm. we have to look and find exactly what should that form take when it, when it, when it actually happens, because it's no longer a theoretical debate at this point and at this juncture in history, or at least not for the people following this show and the stuff and the ideas that we're talking about. And that's the, the big thing that I, you know, I think it has been a real paradigm shift in the right is that they've kind of, you know, by and large, they've woken up to the idea that, oh, this is actually a power projection game, and it always was. And we were kind of deluding ourselves into believing that we'd evolved past that, and clearly this is not the case. So, you know, the the next logical question then is that since this is a power projection game, what is what is the right, you know, based on their natural characteristics, how they how they are as people, based on their time preference for power, et cetera, et cetera, what are their strengths when it comes to you know centralizing and amassing power that's productivity you know and it's also the 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 left's number one weakness is that because the left is like the children of cain remember cain was driven from the earth you know he was not he 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 used to be a farmer and then he killed his brother and god said okay you're not allowed to be productive anymore because you've been a predator basically and so but i'm not going to leave you for dead I'm going to give you this mark that says that anybody uh, that attacks you is going to you know pay sevenfold vengeance. And so the and so what that means is that Cain is basically untouchable now. Well, and why that, does Cain kill Abel, right? Out of jealousy because Abel kinda. was because Abel was given more favor by God. Right? Yeah, his he offering. also rubbed his face in it a little bit, but you know, it's, it, 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 yeah, there was a little bit of that in there, according to you know, like the Book of Jasher, which is mm-hmm. uh, uh, Judaic legends. But there's a little bit of face rubbing in there, but you know, not not enough that you should have killed him over it. Well, but it's also an interesting thing of um, you know because because part of if I remember, you know, if I'm remembering my lessons correctly, but you know, part of the part of the admonishment was that it's not Cain's place to judge who God gives his favor to, mm-hmm. right? Which is like kind of a really annoying thing to grasp as 
which is again, I was thinking, it's funny. I was thinking of Cain and Abel as you were talking before too, because it's just, it is, it, it because Cain is jealous of the fact that Abel is getting more favor from God for his offerings, right? Is something we all experience at, in different parts of our life at different moments in our life, right? We're always dealing with that sense of inadequacy uh, against other people, right? Even, even the people at the top have their own sense of inadequacies and are driven by, by other sorts of things. So it really is this, um, it really comes again down to what is the higher, yeah. what, are the, what is the higher order? Right. Is it my liberty to say I deserve just as much as Abel? I do. I do all the same work he does. Right. Right. Yeah, Why that actually he, was that actually was the argument. But but and so what's the question? Mm-hmm. Whose place is it to judge? Not right. His. And, and which we invariably as a social species. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a social species, we invariably come back to that question. Whose place is it to judge? Mm-hmm. And the uh, but and with like the children of Cain. But the reason I make that analogy is that. Yo, what Cain did with that mark is he went off and founded a city and he became the protector of that city because nobody could touch him. You know, without, you know, there's nobody who, who can invade. There's nobody who can aggress against him. He's basically unaggressible now. That's mm-hmm. why he was the first earthly king. Uh, and so the, uh, you know, the left are basically kind of his archetypal children where, you know, these are people who are not really able to be productive, but they're really great at being predators. And so, and, and, you know, in society and, and what this kind of shows that even in society, you know, even though, though they're evil, God has still given them a role to play that they're not left, just simply left for dead. You know, they are bought in basically to the uh, new, this is kind of their, you know, what they've been given as their, re- as their recompense for basically being de facto evil and unproductive bastards. And that they, you know, that the, the state now is their predatory institution that, they can kind of inherit. They have this basically this mark where it's really tough to arrest against them. And, you know, that's just, that's what they're made for. They're really, really good at it. They're just way better at this whole aggression and predation game than the the right is. But the right is like Abel. You know, we are the children of production and we're like the children of Seth, basically. You know, to where, you know, we are much more productive and this is our way of, you know, creating and managing power. Is that, you know, we are a, because we can produce power for ourselves. This is our ability. This is where our ability to project power comes from is that we, you know, we are not limited to simply taking it from others parasitically, you know, like the way, like the way the left is, this is the less fatal flaws. They can't produce it for themselves. And so, and you will see, and I'm going to make this argument later on when I start going through demographics is that leftism or liberalism by nature is necessarily unproductive or, or anti-productive. And so because of this, you know, this is their, their mortal weakness is that if you can manage to cut them off, they will, they will wither and die, or they will lose quite a lot of power. And that the actual form of government matters to, you know, towards doing this, that it needs to be a form of government that maximizes productive, productive value and punishes predatory value. And that this is a, a system of statecraft that would necessarily disadvantage the left. And so this is why I believe in private, you know, private corporate statecraft <laughs> is that I want a system that's going to morally advantage, you know, advantage the right, you know, not just morally, but in the power projection game, this is how ha- has evolved into because the right is now aware that this is a real power projection game and they need to play to their strengths and they need a strategy that does that. And they need a government that plays to their, to their strengths of productivity and that punishes predation 
And so, you know, the free market is really, really good at that. It, you know, that uh, predatory businesses tend to go out of business. They're yep. not, you know, and that, that uh, you know, and well, and the, well, I'm sorry, but like, and, and the, uh, because we're, what's interesting, right. When we're talking allegorically in terms of like Cain and Abel, which has, which has real consequence in like human behavior, there's a lot inside of the middle. And again, that free market, the system that's in place, the limits that are put on people also allows for healthy, uh, shall we say, um, exercising of, of said predatory impulse that we have as human beings, because, because we are the mm -hmm. descendants of both Cain and Abel, right? At, 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 yeah, at, you know, <laughs> literally speaking yeah. and metaphorically speaking, just given, you know, genetic drift um so so it's so it's just interesting to point out that even those strictures themselves again allow for predation in a in a healthier sense we might say right yeah. which is to say the predatory aspect is also linked to competitiveness mm -hmm. because it had because it's a matter of it's a matter of success it's a matter of pursuit and like you know reward you can channel this this uh cane uh, canaanite <laughs> you should say uh or canite uh uh, instinct towards something towards a greater good basically and yeah, yeah the, it doesn't have to be channeled completely towards predation and unless right. you're well, really and, one and of even in, in and even in the case of the allegorical case so he that, that he becomes the first earthly king right he mm -hmm. invariably does embody that himself yes he did and let's go ahead and uh continue now from uh you know it must be affirmed oh you're gonna read yeah, I got it. Yeah. It must be affirmed, therefore, that constraint is not an evil in itself, and even that it is, from it, from the moral point of view, quid indifferentis in se, something indifferent in itself. Everything depends on the end to which it is employed. This is, moreover, the teaching of St. Augustine, doctor of the church, who writes to Vincent. You see now, I think, that we should not consider the fact that one is constrained, but to what he is constrained whether it is to the good or to the evil. It is not that anyone can become good despite himself, but the fear of what he does not want to suffer puts an end to the obstinacy which was posing an obstacle and urges him on to study the truth that he did not know. It makes him reject the falsehood that he was upholding, seek the truth that he did not know, and he reaches the point of wanting what he did not want. I intervened sev myself several times at Vatican II to protest against the liberal con concept of liberty, which was being applied to religious freedom, an idea according to which liberty would be defined as exemption from all constraint. This is what I declared then. Human liberty cannot be defined as liberation from all restraint without danger of destroying all authority. Constraint can be physical or moral. Moral constraint in the religious domain is very useful and is found over and over all throughout the Holy Scriptures. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The declaration against constraint in number 28 is ambiguous and, in certain aspects, false. What would happen, indeed, to the paternal authority of the fathers of Christian families over their children? To the authority of the teachers in the Christian schools? To the authority of the church over apostates, heretics, and schismatics? to the authority of the heads of Catholic states over the false religions which, which bring with them immorality, rationalism, etc. It seems to me that the first epithet of absurd that Cardinal Billot attributes to the principle of liberalism cannot be better reaffirmed than by quoting Pope Leo XIII. 
quote, nothing more absurd and more contrary to good sense could be said or imagined than this assertion. Man being free by nature should be exempted from all law. And let's we stop might right as well there. say. That, let's stop right there because that is, you know, like the, the fun that we're, we're, he's going to like torch the sophism, uh, uh, you know, later, but I want to get, you know, hit a few points before, uh, we move on that, you know, that this idea that you're born free. No, no, you are born in, you know, completely into, constra- into like complete constraint as a baby, you are not free. Like you, like adults make every single decision for you. And you know, and you better hope that they you know make the right ones, and you better hope that someone gave them training on how to make the right decisions for you, because you are completely constrained by your nature. And there is no, uh, you know, there are very, very few animals out there that are more constrained by their nature than humans are as, in, mm. in their in their youth and adolescence. And the. Uh, and th- this idea that like, hey, if you start getting rid of, you know, like real moral constraint, like, OK, so what starts happening when you have like a family member that is, you know, a, basically a drug addict or something like that? It's like, are you just going to let that happen? Like you, you, you're telling me you, I, that like as a father, you know, if my son was doing drugs, you know, like, uh, you know, adult son, you know, by the way, there's, like, let, let's steel man the argument. If my adult son is like doing heroin. And I know the statistics, like this is not looking good for him. His life expectancy is going way down and, you know, and, you know, not, not just to mention his health, you know, his health is just like really taking a turn for the worse and it's heroin addiction, of course, you know? So like, you're telling me I have to sit back and do nothing that there's no physical, there's no force I can use at all. I can't just take the drugs from him. I can't, uh, you know, you know, force him to go uh, get medical treatment. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing I can do that. And, and like, actually like you got, I've had this, had this argument with Ace that like, he will say, uh, you might, you may be able to do it, but you know, he would have the right to resist you. So what it's like, so in other words, I have no right to do that. <laughs> it's like either I have, either he, ha, I have the right to, uh, you know, use that against him and he has no right to resist me or I have no right to do it. Yeah. Uh, well, there's uh, an it's like either in the right conversation, to. right? Huh? There's, there's like, but there's an absurdity to that kind of conversation. And and that absurdity is that you're actually like, you know, you're arguing a hypothetical on top of a hypothetical on top of a hypothetical. Right. And so you're trying to, and then you're always just trying to then again, like who can judge you're you're making that recursive, you're making that recursive point back to an initial idea that you're trying to like meet out the differences within. Right. It's like, yeah, the person can, yeah, because well, like, right. Well, yeah, the junkie son. To... The junkie son can resist me, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean he's right. Yeah, it doesn't mean. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's moral for doing it. In fact, like the idea, the obvious immorality of it. You're saying he has a, a right to immorality, which in itself is like okay. So you're no longer maximizing good anymore. It's like you are not by nature. You are necessary by definition. You are not maximizing good. Which okay. is and let's let's it, let's reduce this. Let's make it a little more common. How about just like, hey, your but you notice your buddy's drinking a lot, and you just kind of check in on him and you'd be like, hey, man, you know, I noticed that, you know, how's how's everything going? You know, it's like work good, family good, people good, right? There's mm-hmm. there's way there's there's so many steps before you actually get yeah. to the like to the junk to the to the to the junkie on the street, yeah. and that's the but that's the point is that's the point is the belief that 
you that any kind of constraint is a problem leads you invariably to a junkie on the street given time given the factor of time and quite a number of them too and particularly with mental illness because they had bad families that were junkies basically <laughs> and that you know that like that that got that got handed down to them you know and uh, it's actually you know we've actually proved that it's genetic that there actually is an addiction ge uh gene that uh, can be very highly heritable like 80 percent of the time it's heritable yeah oh yeah and Every, anybody anybody who's from a family like that knows it mm -hmm. you know what i mean oh yeah like <laughs> <laughs> it's not, yeah I, I buried like two. I buried two uncles last year for basically drug addiction. Or yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, and so it's like it's you know, and they like all throughout my family there was addiction problems. So that's why I'm I'm basically a teetotaler. You know, uh, you know, I don't believe in teetotalism, but I practice it simply because I know my genes. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know, I'm you know, I will you know have a drink every now and then. I will you know have a little bit of THC every now and then and stuff like that. But I'm very, very controlled about about it. And, you know, th this is a and but if like if I were, you know, had, if I had somehow degenerated into a junkie and someone was forcing me to seek treatment, which basically everyone agrees is an objective good. Uh, it's like, yeah, I can't say why. Like, why is it that this force is bad? I'm forcing you towards a good rather than, mm -hmm. you know, this, you know, why is this if force can be used for good or for evil, which by the way, they both, you know, e even like libertarians will be inconsistent about this. Liberals, you know, will be inconsistent about this to where they will argue that, yeah, that, uh, oh no, uh, you know, you, you cannot initiate aid it. That is, that's what's immoral. You know, if the, if you're doing it defensively, that's totally fine. Well, it's okay. okay. You know, I've uh, asserted, you know, that this private property of mine is, you know, is mine and you can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. It's like, even right there, that's a threat of force. And so, you know, that is, you know, that, that is basically initiatory that anyone who cr like crosses this line that I just made up, you know, is going to get force used, used against them, you know, to like physically remove them, presumably. And yeah, maybe you can say that that's moral and, and they do argue that that one's moral, but you know, it's still very, you're now saying, okay, that force is now a neutral thing. And so, okay, well, you know, under what conditions is it, is it always neutral? Uh, so, like I said, because because now you've 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 thrown out the argument that you know this is that constraint is necessarily an evil, that force is necessarily an evil, and the and so now I can begin arguing. Well, okay, well now that there's this exception over here where it's actually a neutral or a good, you know, where this you know that here's other situations where this thing is a good and that are initiatory by the way and the uh and it, i think it, it's a really really it's a, i mean it's, it's an absurd argument for them to say that you know a, a, that always initiating uh force is wrong it's not it it, it functionally is not like if, if like a uh if a kid is uh you know who is uh, you know, under the natural order you are your parents' retirement program. And, you know, if they've, you know, treated you well, if they've loved you, yeah, you, you have an obligation, you know, to, uh, you know, to take care of them in their, in their, in their old age, because they took care of you when you were a baby, basically. Now, if they didn't do that, you don't have an obligation to them, but you're probably dead if they didn't do that. And you probably owe that to whoever did, if you're still alive. And, but if you don't, you know, it's like, I, I you know, I think you 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 have a moral obligation to filter that, and if you don't, someone should be allowed to use force to, against you to you know get you to fulfill that obligation. I don't know how, but they should have that right. 
you know, how they exercise it is, is another question. Well, it's the basic, I mean, that's the basic premise behind like child support, mm-hmm. right? Is you, yeah, which, you know, which has it, which comes with its own set of problems. I'm not going to, you know, deny that. Um, but that's just given, that's just given the system. Yeah. The, I want to hit on the point again, as we're moving through, because it, because it can get lost because it's like, okay, well, on the one hand, you know, you call yourself popular Liberty. And on the other hand, you're saying Liberty is the problem. And just to reiterate the point, lest our, you know, lest people take things out of context, I know they're going to anyway, but to reinforce the idea, it's actually not that like Liberty is still within the, the top values that you or I would actually put oh, on yeah. onto a society that we want to live in. It's, My joke it, is that it's not popular. It's an ironic name that this liberty is very, very profoundly unpopular. People will trade it away at every turn, and you know, and they, and that is assuming they even want it because well, that's precisely the insight that we've had, right? That that, that yeah, don't. coming from the libertarian tradition and precisely realizing the fact that the real liberty that matters, the liberty of your mind, the liberty of your conscience to do the right thing. Right. Is mm-hmm. actually and, and from that, you can then get some kind of physical liberty. But physical liberty is really the lowest resolution of all yeah. of these because it's because it precisely is so um, well, because it precisely is to the point to the to the perennial to like the foundational question of are you born? Are you it's man? Bo- is man born rich or is man born poor? Man is born into a state of poverty. So, too, man is born, as you say, as you said. A human is born very, very weak. You're not really born free in a physical sense. It's the lowest resolution, but you are, you know, mm-hmm. but as a but it's also like, God, you are free as, as, as a human being, but, it, but in a spiritual sense, in an, in, in a, this yeah. is actually like one of the arguments you hear from the left that I actually buy is that, you know, yeah. And this is, you know, I, I'm surprised that more libertarians don't uh don't see the value of it because this is like you know when they say that okay you know like what is my liberty worth to me you know when you know i'm poor debt ridden i'm sick and i have all these problems that make it so that i can't choose the good so that you know and what you find out is that actually the kind of liberty that actually is really popular is that the freedom to choose the good, which is like the Catholic definition. (laughs) So it's like, that's the popular definition of liberty that people really like. And they will try to choose that. What what does the Catholic upbringing say to all that? You're, you're broke, you're in debt. You've got, you know, your back hurts and da, da, da. Pick up your cross and keep walking. And so it's like, so there, so that's the actual prescription. And it turns out whether you put that prescription in a Catholic frame or not, it's the right thing to do because, because it is just a step at a time thing. Well, this is actually one of the arguments that, uh, you know, Thomas, Thomas Aquinas makes really, really powerfully is that actually, you know, his, uh, idea of axiology of that is what is the, the, the value of, of, of a morality. He says the value of morality is objective. This is where Ayn Rand gets her objectivism, you know, idea from where she's just completely wrong that, uh, but you know, uh, the idea that, you know, morality itself, that it's, uh, value is, uh, is not subjective. It is objective. And this is why you can be conformed to it. <laughs> this is why it's not up to your opinion. Cause if you say this, the value of, mor- of morality is subjective, that means it's subject to your mind. It only exists. It only has value if it exists in your mind and therefore you can't be held to it, uh, morally by law because you're just being held to somebody else's opinion. This is why right. and, the- but morality has, sorry, I'm just, but I'm just connecting the dots in like a mm-hmm. like, but yeah, but morality has to by nature, not be 
It's not just a matter of subjectivity exactly. because morality is the thing that, 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 that exists over subjectivity mm-hmm. by, by, it, by its very being, because yes, without it, it being, because without it being above the subjective, you know, the, the individual subjective nature, because again, the individual subjective frame of the world exists. That's, that's right. Like that's, that's like the, that's the devil in the details that the people who want to like control you for the wrong reasons, a la left progressives, they like to like needle in on that. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't actually, it, that doesn't disprove the argument. This is, this is built into the cake. If you actually look close, this is built into the structure of being, if you actually look closely enough. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that uh, you could, you know, kind of make this up for yourself is definitionally false that because you're or or it's definitionally really not 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 just false but suboptimal and you're you're literally arguing that humans shouldn't maximize value in this one particular area you know which you know if you say you believe in praxeology you would have to accept that that uh, you know, it, it's kind of ironic that, you know, the Austrian school of economics of, you know, with praxeology and all that would, they would net by saying, okay, you know, value should be maximized because that's what humans do. We are value maximizers. You, you would have to, as a libertarian, as an Austro libertarian, mm-hmm. you would have to argue that, uh, yeah, uh, value should be maximized except right here, because that would be immoral <laughs> because of these arbitrary reasons I've come up with which are really just reduced to my opinion, because the moment you say that morality is subjective, you know, or that it's, you know, or that I want to do something other, or the, you know, the moment you say for whatever reason that, you know, that the, the Thomas Aquinas axiology is just his opinion that, that, you know, I have a different axiology. I have a different way of measuring value that that all of a sudden, because, you know, means that, your laws are your opinions and why should i be held to and and then the left is completely right about you know that that this just means that that uh, right means uh, might makes right and that power the truth is just the power is just whatever the powerful say it is and there you get they because instantly they become right about everything and yeah and so this is just another inconsistency to where you cannot uh you know if you want to make libertarianism you know, philosophically coherent, it has to be be to uh, presuppose you know Thomism instead of nominalism well, and naturalism. Or, or maybe, or maybe the better, or maybe the better thing to say is we have to understand that libertarianism libertarianism is best applied. And by the way, we're in lines with all the prominent living libertarians by saying this: that libertarianism is best applied as a legal theory yes. upon a society. So that re- that re- that leaves open what form should that society take. And what mm-hmm. is the what is the moral base? And what we're also discovering, given recent events, is again reinforcing that moral element of what is the moral elements on which this society is based. Where what we have reached in our current society, in the current state of American society, is that is that literal absurdist, the uh, taken to its absurd conclusion of a life without limits. There are no basic categorizations by which you can use to, to perceive the world. That is the fundamental assumption that is being taught to children across the United States right now and has been taught to at least two generations of teachers. And it has now been activated in a sense that we've never seen before. This is the queerness study that people talk, that, that talk about. Mm-hmm. The concept of queering and in that it is a school of thought is about removing these basic distinctions and perceptions that we have around the world, namely men and women. 
right? Yep. It's it's the idea that that there are no categorizations, there are no limits to things. You are whatever you can perceive the world to be. And it the is, moment it is they full solipsism, sorry, it is full solipsism into the subjective frame. Yes. In, in, and that is the moral foundation that people are operating on in the ministry of truth. Exactly. Which That's still that. exists, dummies. It doesn't yes. matter. Like it, like you know, there, it's the perennial war. That's why it worked so well, and that's why it wasn't actually called the Ministry of Truth. Sorry, not know, really, right? It's just that's my little frustration at things of like, yeah, we won. So you didn't and win let, anything. Let's get into this, uh, uh, this next thing. You know, with with this uh, fundamental sophism. You know, the, of uh, you know, we we might as well say. I am free, therefore I must be free. It's like definitionally you are not free. It's like you are constrained all over the place. And you know, if if only just by reality itself. And the uh and so this idea that you are born free and therefore you have to stay that way is just one just fundamentally false. Well, and these I mean, are the people who say, again, we have to always remember these are the people who say, Oh, well, why do I have to work? Work is oppressive. Right. That that is that is when you are accepting a free when you are accepting liberty without any kind of limit, freedom from maximal liberation and maximal egalitarianism, that that basic definition of leftism. When you're buying into that, you are leading closer to that position that says I have to work that and I have to work for a living. That's oppressive because under any situation, you have to do things in order to get ahead. You're saying I have to improve. Well, it's and what they're arguing against is I have to do good for other people in order to receive good from them, and that's not fair. And that's the uh, that's the argument they're making. And that uh, even right there, they're presuming a definition of the freedom to choose the good, even though they say they're not, and they're argue, and they're explicitly trying to argue against it. That all of their arguments against it are effectively presuming their own falseness, and that that you know that uh, that you know because that's what makes makes you money that you have to do good for other people provide value to them for them to provide value to you in, in return and for that to be just and uh, and so the underlying uh, sophism is obvious if this is explained i am free by nature endowed with free will thus i am also free from all law from all constraint exerted by threat of penalties Unless it is claimed that the laws should be devoid of all sanction, that would be the death of all of the laws. Man is not an angel. All men are not saints. It's funny because like that's such a throwaway line from him for yeah. him. Unless it is claimed that the laws should be devoid of all sanction. Like <laughs> yes. who would say that? It's like and yeah. we live and we've lived through the year of 2020. The year of the year of <laughs> lockdowns was also the, the year of the mostly peaceful protests where yep. we saw that the law was devoid of all sanction. Mm hmm. So it's crazy how he gets this all correct. It's like they would never be that absurd. They're, uh, you know, they, the liberals they take this thing to the absurd, but they would never be that absurd. It's like, well, that's uh, you're a little behind the times here. Granted, this was written in like '85, I think, <laughs> so it's a little bit dated. I can understand how back in 1985, it was like you could never just fathom how insane the left would get. <laughs> and uh, boy, did he underestimate them a few times, but uh, uncharacteristically so. I mean, it's, it's crazy how this, you know, has this has aged incredibly well. You well know, but I think like what the, he says next is precisely true. Yeah. That would be the mm -hmm. death of the laws. It is. Like we don't li like again, it's it's what's what's fascinating is because of the level of um because of like how fractured the internet has become given like censorship and 
you know, algorithm, you know, how the social media networks have progressed here. I was like, this is, this should be a more mainstream concept, Mm -hmm. right? Or it was only in 2016 that we got the idea of being post-truth, mm-hmm. right? It was like, oh, yeah. oh my God, people, have you heard of this thing called post-truth? It's like, yeah, anybody who went to college and studied that understands yeah. that mm-hmm. this has been a topic. Sub, this has been a topic. Literally, the study of truth is like, you know, people are still arguing about it, y'all. Like everybody's still arguing about it. We always have as humans. We kind of always will, right? And that's why you invariably, you know, maybe just have to trust something like a 2,000-year-old mm-hmm. institution. And and again, it's like, you know, I I keep coming back to, you know, because again, we come from a, you know, libertarian uh, brand of of a school of thought to where like, okay, I mean, because they will respond to this saying, well, you know, I own my own body. And, you know, that is something that is uh, true. And that, you know, but it's true in the legal sense. Yes, true in the legal sense. Because that's the, the because when you build, when you build a legal order around that, it makes a lot of sense and it helps provide for a complex level for for a very complex society that inv- that improves everybody's life immeasurably as a result mm-hmm. and the moment you uh make this idea that i'm morally free to choose to uh choose evil you know as like to which by they mean uh you know initiating aggression against you know peaceful people or or whatever well, it's like, okay, the moment you say I'm free to choose any other, what about all the other kinds of evil that you seem to recognize as being evil, but then say, oh, you know, they have a right to that kind of evil, but, but you don't say that over here. And it's like, this, you know, it's again, as a moral philosophy, libertarianism is basically indefensible. I, it's so utterly incoherent as a moral never, philosophy. But again, I'm just, I, I, I always feel if it's like, that wasn't the libertarianism I bought. I was, I was in that I was studying, man. That that oh, was yeah. like the idea of it being a, a fully more. I guess is that like the Rothbard influence? Yeah, that's okay. that. I guess, well, I I guess mean, it really comes back. That's to that. the. Uh, well, no, it's like it's it's all of them basically. That, that, but like, it's all also. Of them would have said I mean, it's like also that. a little bit of a sign of the times, right? Because you also have Ayn Rand with her objective philosophy yep. as well. So it's again, it's this attempt to build that system with which, and even Stefan Molyneux with his universally preferable mm-hmm. behavior. You're trying to build that perfect order, rationally speaking. Based on you know, based on objective, what you perceive to be objective human you know goods, and invariably it turns out doesn't doesn't work that way at all, right? And the uh, and so as uh, again, the only way to really defend libertarianism is just as a legal theory. You know, this is just a theory of how we're going to write the laws, well, and this has and let's, nothing let's to do. Let's take with it one step further because there's like there there was there's a point I've been that's been sticking in my mind because like right. oh well you can compare different cultures yes you right again this is this is one of the retorts you would you would maybe find yeah. um, but again there's you can also examine again understanding like that the legal system is it's actually really really important because it's kind of how people can generally structure their view of uh you know of how things should be and how they should act um and most legal structures all recognize that like murder you know rape theft mm-hmm. those are the three big ones that's you know again this is the thing that you can find mm-hmm. if you do go through the trouble of a rationalist study we what do we see in our current legal order is, is our current legal order doing a very good job of any of those three things? I, I don't let you, should we bring out the democratic talking points now just for funsies? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Like let's bring out the rhetorical democratic talking points is the, is, are our laws really doing anything to stop, you know, people from killing each other in places like Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Is it stopping, is it stopping the mass shootings, the mass shooters of the world? No, 
It's not. See, it's not working. Is our government at all peaceful? It's like, I mean, you could look around at every place we ba- we interact with and they're all worse off for it. And right. you can even like, oh, uh, even like when we're trying to help, you know, we're like, we, we want to, ha- uh, you know, eradicate drugs. What's that done to Central and South America? You know what I mean? It's been a disaster. The drug war has been a disaster for them. And, you know, and even when the, our, you know, our legal order, our state is trying to do good, it always makes it worse. And, you know, and, and a private company would not do those sorts of issues of things simply because they're not profitable and they would make quite a number of different decisions. And this is, you know, I'm going to justify this at the end because we're close to the end, uh, but I'm going to make a real, a real good argument for private statecraft after, after this, because, you know, I think that the biggest point of this chapter is that the law is a real benefit and because it, it is a moral benefit to the well-being of people, this is something they seek. The, because the liberty of the to choose the good, that that ability to choose the good is the kind of liberty that's actually popular. Therefore, that means it's the kind of liberty that's in demand. <laughs> and therefore, it's the kind of liberty that's profitable to, to supply to people is that, you know, I'm going to supply you with this kind of liberty, which actually is popular. And because it's popular, it's in demand and I can make a profit off of it. And so that the uh, so this is a, you know, just as a definition, this is like the, you know, if you just add in a for profit mechanism into the state and you structure it like a corporation, which is designed to be profitable. Yeah, that's I mean, it has the proper incentives for it. All of a sudden, you know, you get a very, very strong incentive towards virtue and more and moral behavior, and to be pushing, and you get a strong incentive to be pushing these i these sorts of Catholic ideas on society. This is something the Merovingians figured out. Uh, you know, they're the first. You know, at the fall of Rome, the kings who took over were called the Merovingians, and these are the uh, the the uh, basically the barbarians that invaded, sacked Rome, and realized that. Hey, you know, Catholicism not so bad. I kind of like this idea. Mm. You know, divine right of kings suits me very well. I think, yeah, I definitely think God, I, God gave me a right to rule over you, over you suckers. <laughs> and uh, you know, we're, and we, in the meantime, we managed to civilize these these uh, barbarians and turn them into more productive uh, citizens who really cared about the church and Christianity and all of that. Probably a little bit more of a myth than than reality, but you know, it worked. And this, and so. You know, there's some problems with the structure of a, you know, of an old medieval monarchy that made it so that it wasn't quite nearly as profitable as it should have been, particularly because it wasn't explicitly seeking profit. And that was, that's a big problem right there. And, but, you know, these are all problems that a corporation solves. So, and, you know, let's go ahead and finish out the, the, the chapter of the, the, the modern spirit and liberalism. And then let's, let's talk a little private statecraft. I would like to make a remark here. Liberalism is a very serious error of which I have related the historical origin above. There is a modern spirit which, without being candidly liberal, represents a tendency towards liberalism. It is found from the 16th century on among the Catholic authors not suspected of sympathy with naturalism or Protestantism. Now, there is no doubt that in it that, that it is a mark of this modern spirit to ponder thus, I am free to the extent that there is no law that comes along to limit me. Beyond a doubt, every law comes along to limit freedom of action. But the spirit of the Middle Ages, that is to say the spirit of the natural Christian order of which we were speaking above, 
always envisaged the law and its restraints first as a help and a guarantee of true freedom and not primarily as a limitation. A question of emphasis, you say, no, an essential question that marks the beginning of a fundamental change of mentality, a world turned towards God seen as the ultimate end to attain, cost what it may, a world entirely oriented towards the sovereign good gives place to a new world centered on man, preoccupied with man's prerogatives, his rights, his liberties, and I add his body, his sexuality, his, yeah, identity, actually, mm -hmm. actually, his identity. Yeah, um, basically. <laughs> identity in of itself is actually, oh, shit. Uh, he's cutting out, and uh, I will, all right, so we just lost LP. I'm sure he'll be right back, but I'm going to talk about this for a second because what I really like here is that, you know, when he says that this is not a merely a question of emphasis, this is a problem I have with some libertarians, you know, Christian libertarians will say, oh, yeah, Christianity is completely compatible with uh, libertarianism. No, you know, they'll argue like, oh, this is kind of just a difference of emphasis of we, we you know, you're free to do good or evil, but we really want you just to choose the good. And no, no, that is not correct. That is not that is definitionally not compatible with, uh, you know with this because it presumes that you are not uh you know hindering god's rights that you know that you know that there that there can be liberty so to speak outside of you know of the way uh god wants us to live that it that you're assuming that definitionally you will be more free to do things that like make you less free it's like you're, you're free, the idea that okay am i free to sell myself into slavery is it real slavery like because if so in what sense is that free? You know, it's like, okay, if I, am I free to, you know, sell myself into poverty, addiction, and mental illness and all that stuff? It's like, in what sense am I more free this way? And this is something that, the, that and our, again, this, this isn't one argument I really do buy from the left is that that's a worthless freedom. And you can understand why they regard it that way, that they regard that, you know, that uh, liberty as basically a, uh, a function of positive rights or they've uh, essentially that they value it uh because it has th that's this primary freedom to choose good things like if you're only free to choose bad things and that hurt you and make you miserable what good is that you know and to them they would and you can understand why people would not value that that the only kind of liberty they would possibly value is a liberty that gives them the freedom to choose good things that make them happy and give them meaning in life and, you know, give them a good standard of living and all of those other things that uh, men seem to like, et cetera, et cetera. So the, uh, you know, the argument I will make for private statecraft is that, you know, or particularly a Catholic version of private statecraft, because there is a school of thought in uh you know roman catholicism that is very very suspicious of markets very suspicious of capitalism they inherit this kind of from the east where you're going to see in a few seconds not doing so great and the uh what you will see is that th this uh, uh one second let me actually just go ahead and start sharing the screen for you guys but what you will see oh here here we go that's how i get that out perfect 
It's like this, you'll see this kind of in like the demographic structures primarily where they are, uh, yeah, you see people get much poorer, you know, much more quickly. Here's LB. Perfect. He's back. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Well, not weird. I think I like, I like, I, that, that was a little too dramatic there for a second. And I like, I jostled my setup and it unplugged everything. And then, you know, took a second for it all to snap back in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when, uh, you know, th there's this, uh, sect, uh, you know, there's, there's this portion of, uh, you know, Roman Roman Catholics who are very suspicious of markets for, you know, for good reason that, hey, a lot of people do bad things for money. And I think what this really pushes uh, or, or, or what this presumes that, that this is something endemic to capitalism, this is intrinsic to capitalism, something that could not be uh, that, that could not be changed or is immutable. And I would argue this is not the case because this is a function of having bad government, of that having bad liberal government, and not just having bad liberal governments, but having malformed monarchies prior to that. That you had, uh, you know, the, I, I've made this argument in some of my archotropism lectures that the problem with a monarch, with a classical medieval monarchy, is that there's no real separation between ownership and management. Which, if you know anything about corporate finance and stuff like that, you'll know immediately that all publicly traded corporations require like a certain level of separation of shareholders and management because otherwise what you get is like the 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 management who if there if there's no separation there the management will start looting the company basically for their own personal profit and then like kind of loot it into the ground they'll just like personalize everything and they'll make it all personal property instead of you know, treating their shareholders with value and the corporation will go bankrupt. And so, you know, by separating ownership and management, you get a lot of better, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a much better efficient, a much more efficient system for productivity to, because now there's a, now there's a separation and the shareholders can fire the, the, uh, you know, the, the CEO or C-suite, which would basically be the king. It's like if, if the, uh, the royal, basically the way you would do, you would structure this is like, you would say it like the king or the royal family, so to speak, they're the shareholders of the, of the, of the company in air quotes and the prime minister or the ministers would be like your C-suite and your, uh, and you know your, your people they would be you know they would be the workers of the company as your ministers and you're headed up by your prime minister who's your ceo and so and your customers would still be your 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 subjects and so you would kind of split it up this way and turn it into because into a like corporate entity which is now much more optimized and and you see this like with all of the all of the best monarchies ever had exactly that structure where it was royal family at the top but, and, uh, you know, the ministers in the middle and the subjects at the bottom who are basically your customer base. And so the and if you take out any single one of those, you know, the, the, and by the way, he mentioned this in prior topics in, in a prior chapter. I think it was chapter three that corporations, when they were invented, were systems of social unity. It's like these things existed and they made they brought together the incentives of the elites with the plebs basically well, he and makes the, he also makes the historical point that it was it's not it wasn't just the corporation it was, it was mm -hmm. corporations and guilds but you could also make that you could then make the you know the distinction or the the clarification that mm -hmm. guilds themselves adopt a corporate structure invariably as they yep. grow in size because exactly. that corporate kind of structure is is again what you what the is how you scale without mm -hmm. that without the fractional um 
you know, without the early corporations where everybody put a little bit in to fund, right? Again, the 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 textbook that mm-hmm. you're taught as a kid to fund the ships to go out to the east to bring back the spices, right? That wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't possible for people to do on their own. They had to come together to for and right. This is all praxeologically consistent analysis, right? This mm-hmm. is entirely in keeping with, uh, yeah, entirely in keeping with a proper economic view of man. Yeah. And so like when you have this, this corporate structure, which is really optimized for production is optimized for creating a uh, value. Well, it's, uh, okay. Well, we, now we've basically, we've identified now, you know, after, you know, five chapters that the kind of Liberty that's really valuable. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like in my name is that it's the, it's the Liberty to choose the good is the only kind that people are willing to pay for. And even if you believe that, you know, that you, that, uh, you know, there really is a right to license, which I don't, I I reject that categorically, that there's no right to it. It might be imprudent for me as a state to come after you for it. And that's a separate issue. But, you know, if, if doing good, if choosing good is the liberty people are willing to pay for, well, okay, then I need to kind of adopt that. If I'm the free market, I need to have a structure to where I can supply this sort of liberty to choose the good to people as the, as uh, as a service. And I need to be able to found that based on my own private property as a corporation. That if I, as a corporation, view my role in society as supplying natural rights to my people and protecting them and you know keeping them you know you know with the uh you know anyone who lives on my property has to live by my rules and because it's my property my rules i can make any rule i want and it just so happens that i kind of like the way the catholic church is doing their rules so i'm gonna adopt just you know wholesale adopt everything and push it hardcore and you know that which is what he basically argues for is that there really should not be a separation of church and state but you know, because if by adding in a turning this thing, the state into a a private corporation that is for run for profit, you will necessarily and because morality itself is causal, that, that you know that it, you know you will you would necessarily expect that profit maximization for a state would necessarily include you know hugging the Catholic Church real tight. And the yeah, and you want to have a real, real simpatico relationship with them to so that they can help you, uh, you know, keep your costs down and keep your profits up. The idea that uh, what you know, what, like like what you would do here is that, you know, as a private corporation, is like you would like bring in the Catholic Church. You would say, hey, I want to make this. You know, my I have my little piece of uh, land right here. I want you to help me. You know, bring in as many good Catholics as as you can because. One, you know, they're not going to be committing crimes because they're if they're all busy at mass, you know, it's a big. I mean, it's a it's a cost control mechanism for one that I don't now I don't I can afford a lower police budget. I can afford a a lower uh, investigations budget and all that. You know, I don't have to regu. I don't. You know, if, if there are bureaucrats. You know, I don't have to hire quite as many of them anymore because I assume that you're not going to be, you know, deliberately exploitative in your, uh, you know, or at least I can assume you're going to be less exploitative than your, you know, atheist or non-Catholic, alter- uh, you know, counterparts, et cetera, et cetera. So well, I, was, I, I, I was just thinking about the fact that you said they're going to be more well-behaved when you know compare like the the the, the very uh, stereotypical protestant you know <laughs> conception of catholics are the loud and vivacious uh you know indulgers 
and I love that you brought that up because I was prepared for that argument here. Let's see, where did I put that? Here we go. Here's America's demography. See, the problem with Protestantism is because it makes you know the their faith about themselves, what you end up with is a series of miniature baby bus right here. And by the way, the only reason that you know our demography looks relatively by this is a standard democracy. Men on you know, uh, women on the left, men on the right. And you know, and uh, mortality builds this thing into a pyramid, so that that uh, you know, because more you know, more people die at ninety five than they do at four. Basically, more are born at four. And so, what's ended up happening is the only re this is you know, here's what the rest of the world, or I should say, the rest of the developed world without America looks like in twenty thirty. You've had a, a very very substantial baby bust because what's happened is that they don't have is that. Uh, you know, their, their Protestantism has led to liberalism, you know, which doesn't produce kids. That's the problem because you're making it all about yourself and you're maximizing your own self value instead of the value of the, of the, your, of your kids in the next generation, something Catholics are very good at. And you know, it's like, we we're very good at having plenty of kids. So what you, what happens is that what this is, what this looks like to me is you get like a, uh, you know, once you adopt, you know, real hardcore liberalism, you know, which is a necessary fact, you know, something that necessarily comes from Protestantism, you're going to start to see declines in baby and in births. You're going to get urbanization, which is a big thing. It's a big, uh, you know, producer. I should say that's a big killer of babies, basically not, well, not killer, but hmm. they never get born because when you're, when you're, uh, living a more agriculture or, or suburban life, you know, kids are basically free labor. Well, and you have space. Yeah, and you have the space for them exactly. Yeah, and, there's, a, there's you, like a basic like you know selection effect that just kind of naturally happens in that aspect of things too. Mm -hmm. And when you are, uh, but when you move into the urban areas, all of a sudden the, these this like free farm labor or for, you know or like a uh, or you know thing I I just ha I had space for they weren't too expensive but I had space for them I no longer have space for them and now they're kind of basically you know really expensive pieces of furniture that talk back to me so I'm going to have fewer of them. <laughs> And that just necessarily happens with liberalism, and or and so, what? So when you start having you know fewer and fewer and fewer, uh, you know people born, what ends up happening is that you get a uh, you know kind of a double sided effect to where okay, but you have this class of workers who are entering that you know this basically from like forty to you know their mid sixties. There's a huge bulge of really, really, really productive workers with a lot fewer kids. So they are, you know, at the height of their income earning, and they have very, very low costs. And but the problem, what, what what ends up happening is that you know this, and what this looks like is your as society is getting much wealthier. In reality, it's just getting older because people earn more money as they get older, and that's all that's happening here. Hmm. And so. Because they have fewer kids, they have lower costs, and they have they can afford more lavish lifestyles, and it leads to this perception that you know that lavish lifestyles and all that lead to immorality and all that. In reality, it, it's the the causation is actually reversed. It's the immorality that leads to the that yeah you know, that leads to you know some of these lifestyles yeah you know, that to these much nicer lifestyles, but they're temporary. You see what happens? The reason why this is temporary and fleeting is that. All of these, you know, the, this is like our baby boomer generation right here globally. This big bulge right here. This is going to get older and older and older and older to where all of a sudden this thing that that uh, 
kind of looks like a, a you know maybe like a, a shoulders pattern to where it's it's going to get really bulgy at the top and really thin in the middle and all of your retirement programs are going to go bankrupt because who's paying for them it's like uh, and and you know you get to the point where okay now all of a sudden when these people retire they're no longer producing anymore. Not only does that, but their consumption goes way down because now they, they have one nest egg and they need to make it last until they're 90. So, you know, it's, it's like, so their consumption habits, you know, become a whole lot more frugal. They start, but so there you have not only fewer customers, fewer workers. So you have a, so you as a private company, including you, the state should expect when you see a demographic structure like this, you should be what you should be saying is that your number of taxpayers are going down there and the amount of money they can make for you is going down because there's fewer customers to sell to uh, both at the top because they've checked because the, the uh, boomers at the top are now retired and they're now becoming very frugal. Yeah, which they didn't used to be. They used to be like, you know, horrendous spendthrifts and now they're not. And, but also at the bottom, because your customer base was never born, <laughs> you can't sell to people who were never born. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're getting uh, whacked on both sides. You're getting whacked on one side from higher labor costs and you're getting whacked on the other side from having fewer customers. And so you as a state should see something like this coming and be like, oh shit, this is not good for me. So what we did in America and what they're trying to do in Europe is mass migration. That's kind of my solution. It's a short-term hack because there's only so many Catholic countries out there in Latin America. <laughs> and, and so that's the, that, you know, basically Europe, you know, Europe has to go to the Muslims and import Muslims, which are, ooh, boy, it's like they have kids, but they're not exactly productive. And, well, and that, and, and you know, and, and let us not complete, let's complete the whole cycle too. And yeah. in part, it's again the creation of its. They they create the problem for them to solve, right? Under this, yep. again, under this worldview that accepts a reality without limit. That is to say, there are no distinctions. There are no differences between people. There is no difference between this land and that land. This land and that yep. land. It's all the same land, mm -hmm. and it needs to be made safe for democracy. This mm -hmm. idea, this this animating idea that has been at the core of the elite within the western world for at least a hundred going back perhaps even for for hundreds of years with variations therein right to where we can now mm -hmm. construct this grand narrative to talk to you about it today and to your point they have the governments of the world have looked at have looked at this demographics issue and they have said importation is the best means by which we can solve this and why do people want excuse me and why do people want to leave two reasons one it is better, gener marginally speak, generally mm -hmm. speaking, which is where you see natural migration occur, right? That's like human migration doesn't have to be a massive government program like it is today, but it, it is natural because people want to go to a better place. But the government program bombs the lands of the people, yeah. disinhibits their own development, right? It, their own mm -hmm. progression as a people, their own, their own establishment of, of a, like a unique identity, cultures and practices, and, or even just communal bonds that in some cases go back hundreds, if not thousands of years, it doesn't allow that to progress. It says, no, disconnect from that and come here. And we're just going to plug you into our system because our borders effectively then are the world. And we just have to keep playing the shell game long enough until we croak and then who cares because as their as their god Cain, mm -hmm. not god as their demigod as their prophet Cain said so long ago what is it like in the in the long run we're all dead 
Yep. It is, it is, it is yeah. again, fundamentally based on this complete, like, to reiterate the points we're hitting, sorry, it's just, I mm-hmm. love how it's fun when it clicks, but it's like it, the, 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 the turning of all of reality into the self and mm-hmm. having that, it, having that turning of reality, turning of the, of the cosmology of the universe into the self and only focused on the self, on the individual, on the individual naturalistic man. With no, with no regard to spiritual or moral or overarching concepts, creates these conditions that played out over time, create demographic trends that still then when and still where do you then go searching for to, to play that shell game? You actually have to go to cultures which do have a lot of the values that we would think are actually good for the basis of society. Mm-hmm. You know, before the bombings and you know and the destruction of the of, of the order that existed there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, basically the reason that our demographic structure right here, you know, looks like, you know, it looks kind of healthy. You know, it, we've got a baby bust right here. This is like Gen X, this 50 to uh, 50, 50 to 64 range right here is basically the tail end of your boomers and the beginning of your Gen Xers. And because Gen- Generation X was a much smaller demographic structure. You know, there and there's a lot there's just a lot fewer of them there you know it's like they're going to have some real budget problems in the state coming up like this decade because all of your you guys who's going to pay for all the boomers retirements <laughs> it's like the problem they have is like there's a lot fewer gen xers they, they have a pretty decent amount of wealth the uh, uh, but the problem is that there's a lot fewer of them in the workforce because <clears throat> as they were coming up, they realized that, okay, so like the boomers really just wanted money. And, and so they all flooded into the workforce at the same exact time. And they drove the price of, of labor way down. And, and, uh, yeah. And what happened in the same exact time was the great inflation. And there was a whole bunch of, and so what, you know, what that ended up culminating in was like high divorce rates. And so Gen X saw that coming up. They saw how, you know, hey, we, we don't have any one, you know, uh, we don't have the woman in the house anymore. And they're like, eh, we don't quite like that so much. So they actually have much higher, much, much lower rates of divorce in Generation X than they do in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, you know, in the boomers because they opted for to have, you know, a slightly lower standard of living, but have the wife at the home and that way, and that gave them much, uh, much lower divorce rates, but because there's, you know, the wife is at home instead of in the workforce, you know, this, these numbers are actually kind of deceiving because there's actually a lot fewer generation Xers on this female side in the labor force than their demographic structure actually suggests. So you're having a, uh, so like not, so that means because they're stay at home moms, basically they're not paying taxes they're not generating, generating that much taxable activity. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at real hardcore budget crisis because the next generation down, uh, the millennials, they are a big generation. They are very, uh, you know, financially active. The problem is they're broke from student loans. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a completely broke generation. You can't raise taxes on them because they're, because they're poor. It's like, you can try to tax the poor as much as you want. There's just no money there. And it's the whole reason why we don't really, that's the main reason why a state doesn't really tax the poor is that there's oh, no they're, money there. They're, they're still taxing me. Oh yeah, they're still getting me. I'm not that I, poor though. But, I, uh, I had that. Yeah, I I finally crossed over, and I just got another letter that I owe them fifty one dollars and fourteen cents because oh, that fourteen cents it? is interest. I'm like fuck you! It's like I just hate it when they do that. When they do that shit shit with me, it's like you're just this causing is, me trouble. This is also why, and you know, Twitter mm-hmm. doesn't matter in some instances and is super important in others. But this is also where I really dis dislike our critics, is because. Mm-hmm. 
No, 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 no. I still hate my taxes. Yeah. All yeah. of my friends who all mm -hmm. make good money, we have all commiserated and complained about the fact that we all have to pay our taxes. So don't you dare tell yeah. me, take that away from me that I hate my. <laughs> oh, I believe me. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. And that, like they, they, they accuse us of being like the status and the fascists and like who just like, you know, are just, you know, using libertarian apologetics for the state or they accuse us of being regime libertarians. Like, fuck you. You have no clue what you're talking about. And, and I, I know I shouldn't be cussing on a Catholic podcast, but they deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, so the idea right here is like, you know, the only thing that's really kept us stable is that we have Mexico right on our southern border and we're mm -hmm. able to import, you know, you know, like millions and millions of, you know, really, really young pot demographically, uh, you know, demographically young Hispanic people from Catholic countries who can actually know how to produce them. <laughs> yep. And so that's the uh, so that's the only thing that you have us... the culture and work ethic around it to help support yeah. a population as well. That's like, you know, that's the other like mm -hmm. this is I'm sorry. These are maybe oh, yeah. some of my hobby horses, but they, they matter to me because like I actually I mean, I'm not Mexican, but it is where my family went for yeah. a little bit, you know, before they came to America. And I and growing up in the U.S. being like, you know, having like Spanish inclinations, you kind of naturally pick up a lot of Mexican culture and music and stuff like that. And it's it is like. And even if you go to Mexico, like the, it's a beautiful country. It's a great people. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and it's, it's, um, yeah. And that's, it's, that's also one of the reasons why from a young age, I knew that the, that the Democrats were lying, that the left were liars, because I know the P, you know, and it, look at how many prominent names have some sort of Hispanic, I, although yeah. I despise the term, um, you know, bent yeah. to it in, in any organization and on the right and the left. And we're seeing it more and more on the right and with Republicans. And that's again, what's so exciting about the political, like what the next decade of politics looks like. It, oh, it's a right-wing decade coming up. <laughs> and this is something that's very clear with the sixth law of archotropism. But anyway, the, uh, you know, what you should be looking at here is if you're the state and you're a for-profit entity, you, what you really need to be saying to yourself is how do I keep my demography looking kind of like this? And uh, instead of like this, this is China. This, you know, they had the one child policy 30 years ago. And so now 30 years later, they're running out of 30 year olds because that's how math works. And yeah, you know, it's like, it's like they're, they're literally never born. So now what they, they're seeing is like a sevenfold increase in uh in the cost of labor and while the while, you know while the efficiency of that labor has only increased like twofold well and so, i mean just looking at it too because just knowing about like mm -hmm. the one or two child policy and i'm having you know it's kind of in the middle where my camera is so i gotta look over i'm surprised that the male to female ratio is uh, those oh, numbers can't bullshit. be right yeah basically uh you know they you know what, what their most recent census data came out saying was that they've overcounted uh their population by about 100 million that, that yeah. actually like, like came out like last year like oops so actually their their highest population was in like 2003 2005 like early 2000s some somewhere and wow. they've been de declining in population ever since hmm. and so what that means is that uh basically you're talking about you know roughly around here this side was basically never born and because this is the side that does the birthing <laughs> right it's like, it's like, because oh. there was a selection there was a selection bias against against yeah. girls in many in many areas as well 
to the tune of about of 40 million more. There's about 40 million more boys than girls. So you think dating is hard, is hard here in America. Imagine you have an extra 40 million boy, you know, men well, your that, age to compete with. Right. And that <laughs> doesn't bode well for China's just, again, if we're, when we're analyzing things at the demographic at the, at the population level, you can see trends coming throughout history. And you know that if you have a bunch of young unmarried men, <laughs> China's got two choices, pump them full of opium or, you know, uprising. Yeah, basically, this is, you know, like, especially like when these young men no longer have jobs, because remember what we said earlier about, you know, uh, this is what, you know, this big thing right here of all of the, the Chinese boomers going into retirement, you know, and then taking up the pension resources and, you know, that, you know, you're losing customers and your worker and your cost of workers is going up. So your profits are all going down. And so you need less workers to service all of those, your fewer, your, your, your much smaller customer base. So now you ha have a, uh, a problem where you have a whole bunch of you know, millions and millions of young, sexless, unmarried men with nothing to lose, and they don't have to wake up for work in the morning. <laughs> it's like, this is the sort of situation where young men, they get up and they go on long walks, which is terrifying to the, C to the CCP because that's how they got their jobs. <laughs> and so they on the long march uh, you know, of Mao. And so basically they're like you know this is why china's like freaking out this is why they spend twice as much on security as they do on their military <laughs> and you know, on internal security again this has you know and, and you add like the, the fact they're a state atheist on top of it this is state enforced atheism there is no real morality there and they've been teaching everybody that for like you know what since like the 40s basically <laughs> so that there's no such thing as god there's no such thing as morality it's just the communist party and this is the environment you created oh boy we're looking for at some fireworks here you know with china you know, uh, you know who I, who invented fireworks, by the way. Good for them. And uh, yeah, we're looking at some fireworks there in the next few decades. This is exactly as if you're a private state. This is exactly what you do not want to ever happen. So you want to be, you know, keeping your demography very, very stable. You want it to look like a like America, not like this. You don't and uh, God, you know, God help you. You don't want it to look like Europe. This is basically Europe. You know. Yes, it's the the developed world demography without the U.S. in it at, at, at around 2030 is what the projection looks like, and they're screwed. You know, this is yeah, like this is what what a de you know decades and decades of bad profits look like because it's not just that. Like, okay, let's assume you have fixed everything tomorrow with like the, with these guys fixed everything tomorrow with their demography. You're still looking at like, uh, and to the point where like, okay, your birth rate somehow skyrocketed from being less than one per woman to like three per woman, which is like a, a you know, or at least 2.1 or something like that. So you're at least a population replacement rate. You know, okay, what you're talking about is it's going to take another 20 years for those kids to really enter the workforce. You know, it's like, that's the problem is, is that, you know, this isn't like one, this isn't like just a few years of bad profits. This is decades of bad profits before they could the, before the problem can even begin to be solved. So you as a state, if you let your birth rate decline by not properly implement, implementing Roman Catholicism in your in your population, you are looking at, at easily like two to three decades of bad profits and your shareholders are not going to like that. Your shareholders are going to fire you because that's the incentive. If you are here to maximize profit as the state, 
you need to be like hardcore enforcing, you know, not just like any kind of right. Catholicism, not what the German bishops are doing, you know, because they're a bunch of morons and, you know, who are like saying, oh, yeah, gay, homosexuality, all that stuff that doesn't produce kids. <laughs> That's a real problem for the state. They're not going to like that at all. And they're going to be like, all right, you guys, are, they're going to lean on the state to excommunicate those bastards and or, or perhaps bring them into uh, better orthodoxy, better practice of orthodoxy. And. So the, uh, you know, the state, cause the state wants to make a profit that's, and, and they will get fired by their shareholders if they do not make a profit. So if they're going around implementing all of these bad liberal ideas that, and that, that encourage selfishness, which encourages being selfish and encourages me not having kids because I'm selfish and it's all about me. Uh, that's bad for the state. That's bad for the profits. They don't like that. And, you know, their shareholders are going to be insistent upon them maximizing profits. So in a, in a, in a very, you know, counterintuitive way. Yeah. It's like it, that, that, uh, actually unironically capitalism kind of is the solution here that if it, the Catholic church really wants to see its ideas put forward, you need, they need to be encouraging a lot more, you know, private statecraft, not just like free market capitalism. They need private statecraft, you know, because that kind of completes the circuit. You know, private statecraft is what gets you, you know, this maximum profit. This is what gets, you know, this is this uh, sort of uh, idea is like what, uh, you know, this is what's actually going to create the civilization that we kind of want to see as Catholics. And this is, you know, this is by, you know, not just my argument to the bishops, you know, of, of the Catholic church. This is my argument to like libertarians as well. It's like, Hey, if you want like, if you want a really good state, you know, if you want private property, religion's the way to go. You know, it's like, this is the thing that works. Yeah, this is the thing that actually gets you to where you want to go, because what you because what you really need, if you want to have a good private state, is the elites have to be properly incentivized with money. You know, that's the thing the, the thing they care about. You don't need to convince them that you know your morality is true. You just need to pay them to get the right result. And this is the kind of you know private private corporate statecraft coupled with Roman Catholicism is basically the solution that makes all parties happy except the well, left and, you know and, just, and, and and to put it in and to basically just restate that just a adherence to a general christian ethic like like mm -hmm. you know it, it's that, because that's it's it's the it's the law it's the legal framework with the ethic on top of it that you could, which which actually reflects morality and therefore can be harmonized throughout a society, throughout a people. It actually it's, reflects truth, right? So, because which is to say, because like people are going to get hung up on the Catholicism bent of things, and you know, it's like again, maybe it's pointless to speak to those critics, but it's worth at least addressing their claims. Uh, like, yeah. what do we what what do we see in our what do we see in just the recent history of America, but that abandonment at the corporate level at the highest corporate levels of basic christian ethics and what have they adopted instead they've adopted the cult of death they've adopted a cult of death the cult of diversity inclusivity and equity die right like yeah it's clever yeah. but it also but but like it's a little too clever isn't it <laughs> right like this this bit. um but and, oh, and and how they actually represent it is day D E I. Wow, that's really close to like what we actually the word that we actually use for God, uh, in deism, deism. It's a very it, yeah okay you know there, so literally that has become the ethic by which people at the highest levels think that you can orient yourself 
to create a stable society. However, invariably, if for no other reason than you make, uh, you know, because I always try and find like, what's the simplest way of like, forget, you know, the rhetoric. What's this like? If for no other reason than you're making the concept of sex that much more complicated, it is going to become that much more difficult for a society to reproduce. Exactly. This, yeah, and the solution here is providing beneficial constraints as a service to society for, you know, for a profit. It's like, if you want something, put a profit incentive on it, pay people to do it. Yeah. And so if you want beneficial constraints, if you want the liberty, the freedom to choose the good, put a profit mechanism on them because that'll make people pay you for it. And the, uh, and so, you know, and with these corporations who have, you know, they don't nominally, they do have profit incentives, but, you know, I think something that's really interesting is we've seen a rightward shift in corporations, like within the last like month, I'd say like Netflix told yeah. it's, uh, you know, employees to, you know, shut up about wokeness basically. And, yeah. it, uh, you know, it's like, you know, Elon Musk is taking over Twitter and you're seeing a whole bunch of other ones who have now they're realizing this demographic, you know, destruction that, uh, oh, this is what that causes. You know, well, uh, you know, this, this is also what... this is also something predictable, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not the case that Netflix just had a bad year. Yeah. Netflix has been losing money for years. I think they lost 70 billion dollars. They've lost like upwards of 70 billion dollars a year Yeah. so that they're fine. So now this is when they're finally coming to that point of like we can't placate these children anymore right these these and some of these people are victims yeah. frankly of 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 the of the zeitgeist of the age right but these infantilized adults who have no concept of agency or self-reliance who have their entirety mm -hmm. of their being right what they call their identity tied up in the work that they do and you know right and 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 in it being that that the work that they do doesn't have any value into itself, only that it serves their morality. What is the morality? The morality they've been given, where they've been given in the universities. What is this morality again? To the point, it is this morale, this this false morality, of yep. of of die, basically. Yeah, and and uh, this is something that you we uh, if I, uh, you see this also at from Thomas Aquinas because he makes the argument that sin is an act that has no being. And you can rephrase that to say that sin is necessarily self-destructive. Is that you know it has no self-propagation mechanism? It only has a self-destruction mechanism to it because it lacks being, and because it's it's outside of the nature of God, which is the only thing that exists. It's the first cause of existence. So anything that exists has its existence in God, and because sin has no exi no existence in God, it necessarily is self-destructive. And you see this in the demographics. You see, and like, by the way, Russia's demographics are like the like the second worst. It's like the only, the, you know, China's like the number one worst because they had like the one child policy and the, you know, and the second worst, you know, kind of by a, a fairly wide margin is Russia, who like back in like 2016 or 17 had to just like make up 8 million babies that weren't in the prior year census <laughs> because their demographics have gotten that bad. You know, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that uh, you know, they are like the highest nation on earth in terms of abortions. And so it's like this, mm -hmm. this is a problem that's played basically the whole East because they just stopped having kids. Yeah. And like, you see this in every demographic structure in the, in the East because of communism, basically they had a really, really low morality system. And, you know, but I mean, Putin to his credit is like trying to reestablish uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, which has problems, you know, like civilizationally. 
Well, like again, the, at they, the epigenetic, at the, uh, evolutionarily speaking, that's co- that's kind of consistent as well, right? Why why would you want to reproduce heavily in a communist system? Exactly. Right. It doesn't actually benefit you in any stretch, in any by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Whereas under under capitalism, more kids are fine, right? Under agrarian, even under like a, a solid agrarian you system, can live in the suburbs gov- and, with a good yeah. governance, right? Some kind of actual. Uh, decent governance, right, is is yeah. preferable to that. So you can, so again, it's even like a reinforcement of... Um, it's, a, it's multi ways that this thing self-reinforces. That, right. again, sin is necessarily self-destructive. And you see, the, and you see real results on this, that, that, that this thing really manifests itself in reality. It really does not have an existence to itself. It really is necessarily self-destructive. And so even the best, sorry, but even the best of them, right? Like, so, you know, again, communism, fascism, progressivism for the three, like the three, Mm -hmm. the three things that were percolating in the 20th century, even the best of them, the American system that, that came out of the three. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's the, this is a most justified situation, right? It's not about it because, because just because like, again, what is just like, who can judge between them? Like what is just is actually something that's like calling to our individual subjective subjective interpretations of the world and what conclusion can we come to right if you will um that, that that's the matter of justice that's the matter of law morality exists above above that outside mm-hmm. of that it's outside of that to an extent right justice is about trying to find that whatever anyway to the point even the most even the most just of the systems still what 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 a progressivism do sterilize millions of people right um a million abortions a year yeah Yeah. (laughs) introduce misogyny laws we have the massive abortion complex that we have in the in in the in the u.s today that doesn't Um, even begin to taking take into the account the transgenderism of today which is like okay you're sterilizing your five-year-old and it's completely normal for whatever reason it's a new it's a new form of sterilization yeah that's that's (laughs) a fact like i said you're making now you're you're really sterilizing the gays Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's funny how sometimes they uh you know, it's like, you know, it, there's that old thing that some, you know, that uh, every now and then, uh, uh, you know, progressives will accidentally reinvent conventional morality, like where they say that, all right, well, if I can't abort my kid, then I'm not fornicating anymore. It's like, good. Yeah. Well, yeah or, or in like another way, like the, like the affirmative consent, like the, like the, uh, like the consent uh, ad infinite, ad absurdum, right? Yeah. The idea, like, can I hold your hand? You know, instead of like just going for going for a handhold and that being, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it tries to reestablish a more traditional sense of morality as well. But this um, but the talk of that and sterility brought me back to a question that I kind of wanted to ask before, not necessarily as an objection, but as an observation that could be brought up as an objection, which is like, OK, you know, us two guys on the Internet are analyzing this, you know, are, are looking at this data, like doing basic predictions the best minds, not the best minds, but the most, the most connected minds in the world have also looked at this data. Why is it the case then that the current, that the, that the culture de jour, if you will, promotes sterilization and promotes le- having less kids. If what you're saying is accurate. I, I, I might have an answer to that, but I'm curious what your answer would be. Uh, ask the question one more time. Why is the, so so let's so if you if you and if we're correct that you want a society that is stably producing more offspring so that you have a better demographic shape, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Why is it then that something like the population bomb has mm-hmm. been part of the culture of the of the elite going back 30 years? And if you look back farther, sterilization has still been an a, a part of that Easy, as well. Because, the, you know, the, the uh, 
you know, their structure of the state doesn't really care about making a profit. That's the problem with a republic is that you are definitionally saying that the, nobody owns this thing. This is something that we have. A, all of us have a right to it's public property. You get the tragedy of the commons and the tragedy of commons being that, you know, the state kind of eats itself to death because it's public property. No one takes care of it and no one tries to better it. And it just, you know, turns into a disaster. And you may and like you make uh, you know the streets public property and and streets and sidewalks public property in San Francisco and what happens you have homeless bums living you know door you know door to door uh, basically up and down the streets and because nobody owns it nobody can exclude anybody <clears throat> nobody has a proper incentive to really take care of these things and you know when you have that as the model of how you're going to run your government like yeah they're 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 not going to care at all about you know, uh, about whether society does well or not. And you see this, this is why every single republic in human history has about a lifespan of less than 300 years. And and they're like, the average life expectancy is like around 200 years, less than that a lot of times because they just eat themselves to death. You know, they fight themselves to death. They, they're all, they have way more wars, you know, with republics than you do with monarchies, which is, kind of, you know, <clears throat> you know, and you know, because, I mean, if you think of like Rome, you know, in their first 230 years, they had 26 civil wars. That doesn't count the external wars. That's just the civil wars in Rome. You know, our founding fathers were smart enough that they understood that, you know, oh, hey, democracy, you're, and by, by which they meant republics, <laughs> by the way, they weren't just talking about, you know, regular, like direct democracy. They were not just uh, talking about that. They were talking about republics too. And they were, and because they had looked into Rome and they understood that, and they've had plenty right. of republics uh, around the year that have the exact same qualities to where, you know, some guy wants to run on robbing the other guy. It's like, I'm going to rob the 49% if you elect me. And yeah, you get people like that who will just rob. They'll use this thing as, a, as a, you know, for greed and personal enrichment. And this, and, you know, every, and because of this, republics always increase scarcity they always increase decadence they always uh, you know end in disaster basically because the, you have the tragedy of, of the commons instantiated in law of your of your state and so because of, and so because of this you know they republics never last long and our, our our founding fathers did their best to try to mitigate those democratic impulses and they also established something that they kind of knew wasn't going to last forever yeah, kind of. I right. Mean, like well, and, and it didn't. It barely lasted 100 years. And then we basically had the institution of, of mass democracy. Right. Once 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 the science of once the science of mass psychology was discovered. Right. Once it was mm -hmm. understood that you could actually manipulate a population through through like through their emotions and through perception and things like that. They didn't even bother with the Republican form of government that they had. What's the best example of this? the 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 temperance movement with the repeal yep. of prohibition or with mm -hmm. prohibition and its repeal and why has that never really been why is it that a constitutional amendment is almost never talked about in the modern day it's because they did a good enough job they being the elites at the time the technocrats the progress you know the progressives who came in yep. and they created a system that basically transformed to where today it's considered completely appropriate to talk about. And in fact, the United States government's job, as it as they say time and time again, is to make the world safe for democracy. Why are we why are we supporting Ukraine? Because they are they are defending democracy, even though that the, even though that they've completely mm -hmm. consolidated their political system and they've completely consolidated their media underneath the government. Right. But they're defending democracy. 
Mm-hmm. So and, I, you know, I, I, I like to give credit to people who are like people like the founders who were, you know, yeah. humans, but still brilliant humans at a time. They well, were like, pe- they, they understood they understood better than the people who came after them what was actually going to be required for the maintenance. And again, to the point, yeah. we stand here at this moment in history and say, oh, well, it was a nice run. But dang, but, you know, and the Constitution is still great, but it's not doing anything politically to make sure that liberty is actually is actually um, is, is actually manifested. Yeah. And to manifest. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I, what I say of the Constitution is that it was a really good first try. It's like they, they understood that, that, you know, the problems and they and they were looking for a way to kind of solve them. You know, and so you know what's great problem. about saying that? Is that yeah. we completely bypass the entire, um, it, and it's not. I, I don't. Yeah. This is going to come off insulting, but we completely bypass the anarchist question. Yeah, and it's a far more. And 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 if for no, if for nothing else than an exercise of American pragmatism, um, you know that you know that might just be the patriot in me, and I don't really care <laughs> who said who hears that anymore. Um, but you know, just it just in an effort of that, it's like a really good first try. What what can we do now? What are we going to yeah. do now to actually? to actually propel this even further to create an even more stable society where people can actually reach a state of liberty. Mm-hmm. And this is, and because, you know, the, the American right, who's like the, the defenders of the constitution, they just, you know, watched in 2020 as the election got stolen in broad daylight and they were gaslit for, you know, for, for years and called racist and thrown in jail, you know, all that stuff is like, not even like, given the same due of yeah. their of their of the opposing side who have contested every single election that they yeah. have lost as as like and this one was like clearly stolen in broad daylight so it's like all right the constitution this is really just a power projection game and the right has kind of come to this realization now all right the constitution's dead you know basically this thing it was a nice nice while it lasted it was a good first try and there's no real going back to it. So what do we do now? Because this last the last thing we tried didn't work. And just you know saying that oh we should just go back to our principles and try it. Well, they didn't work. Your principles didn't work. And you know this this idea of the Constitution. It was a good tr- attempt. We need something new now. How about private statecraft? How about we treat this thing like a private company? And because I mean literally you have people you know conservatives who run on that exact line everywhere i am a successful businessman and i will fix this pro- this problem and it's like literally no company ever runs itself the way the us constitution runs the government like there is no company on earth that runs this way you know and stays in business they all go out of business and so that's why that when you say i want to run that you know i i'm a private businessman i am well prepared to take uh, do you fix the state problem? No, you are not, because that is not a private corporation. That is that that which is the number one problem. If this thing was a private corporation, you would be fully prepared for it. Like my God, you'd be perfect for the job. You know, you, Mister, you know, successful conservative businessman who you know re- you know, ran a successful business for twenty years and knows how to make a company uh, you know turn a profit. It's like you would be perfect if this thing was a if the state was a private corporation, which it is not. And well, you know what and, you also do when you run a successful business, mm-hmm. like when your empl- like when that employee stops showing up, that was like a really good worker. <laughs> Or that it, or just like, you know, like has been there for a while, like, you know, you call on them, right? Mm-hmm. Or like you have you have systems in place to make sure that your people like again, and this is this is what happened. This is can be malformed in the corporate structure, but when it's done properly by good people, right? That people who have that moral element to their being, right? Mm-hmm. And who and who and who uh constrain themselves to that. Um, those like that actually does involve it's like, you know, things that people would freak out about. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, they're they're um 
again, there are, there are limits, of course, that's kind of the point, mm -hmm. but you actually do care for the people who are part of your organization. You do because they're good for you. Uh, it's good for you to be good to them. That's the beauty of corporations is that their incentive structure is, you know, created in such a way that it mimics the Trinity. It mimics, it mimics the Holy Trinity in the Catholic sense to where we believe that, you know, these persons of the, of the Trinity all love each other and they treat each other, you know, with perfect, you know, perfect actions. Well, right. And, and so basic praxeological Austrian insight of, of the, exactly. that, that, the, that when you get profit, you're actually, you know, in the, right. under the right conditions, you're, you're providing a social good, whether that's exactly. you as the entrepreneur of one, right? Like the whole idea of like, if my wages or my, my profit, if you will, um, are for, for the value that I provide to an organization for the product that I create, but what's, but what's actually happening is you got to work. And what's the problem with work is work kind of stinks. So that's where you need that incentive to actually go out and exchange something to, to actually go out and achieve something. And this is wants like, basic programming of, of a biological creature yeah and you want like a state that gives you a really good education it's like i don't really have a problem with state education i just want it to be a good education where they're teaching you like critical thinking they're te teaching you uh you know good catholic ethics and they're teaching you all these things that actually turn you a profit later in life that actually turn you know turn you into a good person that is you know a, a person somebody else wants to hire to do a job and who you know the person who doesn't see work as this inherent evil he sees it as what god created him to do you know the first thing that he said that god said to adam was you know take care of the earth you know rule over it dominate it and he basically made him a farmer and you know he was a steward uh, yeah basically yeah you're right steward because it's creation. not actually yours exactly it's for you to take care of for the next generation for the people who come after you because mm -hmm. that's what's ordained yes uh, these I, are the fundamental these are these are the fundamental myths that are worth that are worth building a society around. around. Exactly. And, you know, and if you really want to have a, you know, private, uh, you know, and theoretically there is no real objection to this from a libertarian standpoint. There's only one from an atheist standpoint and, a, and from a, the standpoint of a libertarian, I say that in air quotes of they, they, there's not really about liberty for them. It's anti-authority for them. You know, their problem isn't that it's not that they really want property, not like, you know, a lot of other, not like they say they do. The problem is they don't want authority or they just want to be that for themselves in the classical liberal sense. And, you know, and there's, this is like the main divide between, you know, like, left libertarians and right libertarians is that the right libertarians there's like oh no we we do want authority we just want it to be proper authority and legitimate authority and the left libertarians are marked by the fact that they either say that and really don't mean it and their actions show that and their reaction their reactions really show that or they just or they just explicitly reject this idea of legitimate authority and they and most of the time they do and so like the right libertarians who are like the Hoppians and say, yeah, we just want legitimate authority. That's the kind of person that, you know, if it, it, there, there really is no good art there, you know, if you're saying that this is libertarianism is about property, if you're saying that liberalism is about, you know, liberty, it's like, there really is no good argument against, you know, privatizing this stuff. You know, at least there's no good faith argument against it. And so if the, if the, you're, if you're opposed to just Catholicism, well, I mean, that's not your property. It's somebody else's property and you just don't have to live there. And, you know, you could just not do that on your property and see how well that goes, because it's going to go about like this, you know, <laughs> this is what that, this is what that structure is going to look like.
you know, and, you know, and, you know, your descendants will be just be bought out by our descendants. Yeah, you know, like, like, I don't have to force you, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to buy you out and it's going to work for me. And so the, uh, and I'm just going to enforce, I'm just going to enforce the, the rules on my property. It's just that I'm going to enforce profitable rules that make, that give me that power to just buy you out and, or buy out your descendants who are going to be substantially fewer in number. And because, and because of that, you know, it's like, it's like, who's going to win, you know, in the long run, the Catholics. And, you know, and if, if you are truly a libertarian, you'll be okay with that. Cause you know, Hey, it's private property. And, but if you're going, but if you're not sincere about that, you know, you're, you know, you have to ask what's your real motivation in being a libertarian, you know, or what's your real motivation in being a liberal, the real, and I think what a lot of, uh, you know, liberals and libertarians are really going to discover about themselves if they're, you know, being honest with themselves is that the problem is that they really want authority. The problem is that, I mean, the problem isn't that they really want liberty. The problem is that they reject authority and they reject legitimate authority too. And that's it's the problem. Pro- that, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a, and, you know, it's like, if, if you're going to be like that, why do I need to be, uh, you know, why do I need to, t- you know, take you seriously at all? Cause now you've shown me, you, you've shown me bad faith and what, you know, I don't want to argue with you. I just want to project power against you, which by the way is where the right is and where we should kind of leave it. That if the right really wants to have a resurgence of Christianity, they really want to have a resurgence of property rights and they really want to put the left in their place. They want to put the children of Cain in their place. Private statecraft is the way to do that. Privatizing the government, turning this thing into a legitimate for-profit entity is what will yield what will yield uh, the sort of society to, that they want in a kind of counterintuitive way. It's not going to lead to this you know, degeneration that you see with you know the, the LP. It would do literally the opposite. Well, and, 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 to, and this is like just another point to our critics. And this is, you know, again, this is often lost in the Twitter rhetoric but that's kind of why you have to listen and that's you know why probably we should do clips more because yeah, you know it's t- it's tough should. but it, it, right but but to, but like but to make this point is you know we're painting a nice we're we're we're, we're noticing trends right trends don't trends don't predict the future they indicate the future there's still a lot that can go wrong and one of the great ways it can go right is if this understanding of a proper legal order combined with a moral framework mm-hmm. can actually can actually reach a critical mass level it within yep. within the appropriate circles most importantly but at a mass but at a populist level as well and this is the danger by the way again speaking directly to our critics in the LP this is the danger of the closed loop of the liberty movement yeah. is and and again and I'm spe- and and people know exactly what I'm speaking to when the I bottle. say this is it's because it's yeah it's we're not including the tim pools in this in this this is the closed loop of the libertarian uh, of the libertarian podcasting conglomerate that has like created this movement of tens of thousands of people right it's that that in particular that closed loop if that closed loop doesn't in, doesn't interface properly with these trend lines on the political right it the, that political right could go a completely wrong way because it's not to, because again to the point there have been bad instances of this in the past usually around the rejection of religion so like you know we kind of got that going for us in america but even so 
we we've started by talking about precisely that even within Catholicism, there is an anti-market bias or an anti-capitalism bias within certain schools. So it's not even guaranteed underneath a Christian framework that you can have this right mix, this second shot at achieving human, at, at achieving human liberty. Exactly. I think we should go ahead and cut it there. Have a nice night. Oh, plugs. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find me, go to binawake.com, subscribe with your email address, please. And thank you. And if you could support this show at po- at the uh, link in the description, you know, subscribestar.com forward slash popular dash liberty. This helps me, you know, you know, fund the show and keep it going. If you also want to help, uh, you know, turn private, turn the state private, that seems like a monumental task to you. We have ways to do that. This is not impossible. You can support, uh, you know, my, you know, my super PAC at mesisgup.org forward slash donate you know monthly subscriptions help us most and you know any amount any amount one dollar two dollars three dollars a month you know it makes a big difference because this is this is a cheaper better faster strategy that again because this is in the interests of the elites all i really have to do is sell them on making money which is something they kind of already want to do anyway and the uh and this is and so you know, it's, it's really a simple argument to make to them. You know, I, I don't have to fight them. I don't have to you know, say, oh, I'm going to take all your power away from you. It's like, no, I'm actually going to give you quite a lot more power. See, you know, that, you know, it's not I'm not decentralizing the power structure. If anything, I'm centralizing it quite a lot. And the and so when I'm you know, basically arguing, I'm basically arguing with them that they should take more power and more money for themselves and make more profits, you know, whether they earned it really or not. And if they just turn this thing into a private company, yeah, I think I can make that argument pretty easily. I think they'll go for it. You know, call me crazy. This is just, it's the same exact pattern of behavior that they've been doing this entire time. And so, the, you know, why don't they just do it, you know, do it in this way that makes them more profit, more money and do that because they don't care how they do it. They just want it done. So let's just pay them to do the right thing. And yeah, so that, you know, with that argument, I think I'm, it's going to be a better, cheaper, faster strategy to just tell them to privatize the state. And this is what you're funding at Mises GOP when you support us is this, you know, is you're supporting people like me and people, uh, you know, that I helped to elect who are going to get this job done. They were who are going to be just making this argument and kind of shepherding these ideas through the institution of the of the state, which should be in their best interest. There's no good argument against it from their point of view, except that yeah, you know, they might not be popular or whatever, but it will be because everyone makes more money and everyone's happy. That's always again, it's popular liberty. This is the kind of liberty that's popular, definitionally. <laughs> so all right, guys, have a nice night.